Yeah. No trouble because you know I'll kick your teeth down your throat. Where's your three guys? You want, you couldn't get a paleontologist to get a couple of these fossils cleared? You ain't got enough guys off a dialysis machine to get a team? Before we go any further, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further, let's clear one thing up. Do you work for the WWF? No. How about it? No. Women, oh, upper right, upper right, get security right. Here they come. To the stands, to the people. We need to get them out of here right now. They just need right them now. outside. They've got baseball bats in their hands. They've got baseball bats in their hands. And we've got security everywhere. Oh, my goodness. And we've got to roll up in the ring. we got a one, two, three. Is that it? We aren't worship, honey. Whether you like it or not, whether anybody likes it or not, look at this right now. Those two men standing there mean business. We are at war. We have new world tag team champions. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to June of 1996, Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1 is your WWF show looking at King of the Ring and Volume 3 looks at all things ECW. I'll be joined on this month's show by Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, good evening. Good afternoon, Bob. And Jeff Parker. Jeff, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Jeff, kick us off with the news. All right. So um, Kevin Nash joins Scott Hall to the Invading Force uh, of this month with the pair being involved in memorable segments throughout the month. Uh, after Nash joined Hall in confronting Eric Bischoff on June 10th, the pair, the pair appeared at the Great American Bash pay-per-view, which finished with, uh, Nash powerbombing Eric Bischoff through a gimmick table to the side of the stage. Things off-screen were also creating waves with the WWF attempting legal action to stop the pair from appearing in WCW as an outside force. The month ended with a highly memorable segment on June 24th, where the pair stormed the ring with baseball bats during the main event of Nitro. Alongside a mystery third partner, they will face the team of Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger at Bash Bash at the Beach. The Great American Bash produced arguably WCW's best pay-per-view effort in two years, underlined by three very successful angles. Along with Hall and Nash, the show saw Ann Anderson reunite with Chris Benoit, turning on the Taskmaster following Benoit's victory. In the biggest match of the show, Steve McMichael turned on fellow football pro Kevin Green, completing the new Four Horsemen lineup. Elsewhere on the show, the Giant returned his title over Lex Luger, and there were wins for Sting, Conan, Dimalenko, the Steiner Brothers, Diamond Dallas Page, and John Tenter. The identity of the third man at Bash at the Beach is still largely unknown, although there is a belief that the angle has been so good so far, everyone bar a few names would be a serious letdown. Names that have been bandied about from outside the company have been Jeff Jarrett, Mabel, and even Bret Hart, although, although all three seem highly unlikely or seem very unlikely. That being said, WCW did mention Bret Hart's name on their hotline this month, 
Mabel is rumored to be coming in, although not necessarily for this angle, and Jeff Jarrett has a non-compete on his con- uh, I apologize. Jeff Jarrett has a non-compete on his contract, which expired, um, which will prevent him from appearing at this show. All signs point to the third member of the team being an existing WCW performer, likely either Sting, Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger, or The Giant. Well, neither will be appearing on the next pay-per-view. Expect Jeff Jarrett and Ted DiBiase to be joining WCW at the earliest opportunity. Jarrett's non-compete won't end until October, mind. WCW are said to have made formal offers to Rey Mysterio Jr. and Chris Jericho. Mysterio featured twice on WCW this month. Jericho is still working down in DCW, amongst other places. It's also said that there was an idea to have Dusty Rhodes in Eric Bischoff's spot at the pay-per-view. However, they likely stopped it due to him being significantly bigger than Bischoff, given the bump that they wanted to do. A tribute show to Ilio DiPaolo ended up seeing WCW draw its highest gate in history, with over 14,000 paid fans paying a record $193,000 gate. This beat out the Flair Funk match from the Great American Bash in 1989, which drew a fractionally smaller gate of 12,300 fans. The show was part WCW wrestling event, part legend show, involving an appearance by Bruno Sammartino, who was also involved in other WCW, WCW shows later in the month. Nitro dominated the months for ratings, although the promise of Hall's big friend did not move the needle in the second week. On June the 3rd, Raw did a 2.3 to Nitro's 3.4. On June 10th, the debut of Kevin Nash didn't stop Nitro losing out 2.6 to 2.7 for Raw, a rating of which at the time was so bad that Kevin Sullivan wasn't even allowed into the booking meeting the next day. However, Sullivan's uh, stocks did improve, as on June 17th, the night after the pay-per-view, Nitro beat Raw by a full ratings point, 3.4 to 2.3. On June 24th, Nitro beat 3.3 to Raw's 2.7 the night after King of the Ring, and Nitro's replay does continue to do very strong numbers. On the June 17th show, it did a 1.5. Larry, thank you very much, gentlemen. Inside two weeks, we're away from the Great American Bash in Baltimore on Sunday, June the 16th. Both of these gentlemen have major commitments at that spectacular. However, the question is, Lex Luger, after tonight, what's going to be left of you? You've got the Steiners tonight, heads up, and what we saw last week. Really, I think, uh, some kind of an indication what we can expect tonight. Um, the intensity level in the last week was definitely very high, Gene. Steiner Brothers, myself, Take, take a look Stinger. what happened here last week. My Go goodness, it back. turned into a free-for-all. Are we talking about some footage here? Yes, that's for? it. Yes, here What it this is. footage demonstrates that things got way out of hand. And what I'm saying is... And as you can see in that footage, the Steiner brothers, two-on-one on me. I came down to cheer for my friend in a very important match, Sting, involved in a big match. Steiner came down, and things got out of hand. I'm always painted as the bad guy in all these scenarios. Hopefully, we've had a week. Cooler heads will prevail. Now, Stinger? I don't know, Sting, if cooler Lex, heads are going to prevail. i got to be honest with you. Lex, I know what the Steiner's argument is going to be to this whole situation because... All the footage wasn't shown here. There was a time where Scotty had me set up for a suplex out on the floor, the cement floor, that is, and you kicked him in the gut. That's going to be their argument. You did actually, you provoked them if you want to. I do want to say something here. Steiner Brothers and I, we go way back. We go back how many years? Eight years? A long time. We're all very competitive. Tonight is a huge match. We're talking about the WCW World Tag Team titles. Indeed. Last week was a big match for both of you guys. Big reputations on the line. Mm-hmm. 
I was down there, but let me tell you this, Stinger. If you guys are such good friends, I'm standing there watching, and Scotty Steiner picks you up over his head on the floor. There's a suplex on the floor. The friends do that to friends. Me, hey, let hey, let just, just a second here. Wait a minute. Uh, hey, gentlemen. Gee, what I want to know is why you kicked my brother and pushed him back in. Hey, there's, there's a time That's and a place. That's a cheap shot. That is a cheap shot. And the friends suplex somebody on the floor. Let me ask you that. My brother was trying to win. Hey, listen, I was trying to win too. The, the bottom line is, if Lex was going to get suplexed by anybody on the floor, I might have to kick somebody in the gut too. So I don't know if that's such a cheap shot. Hey, well, I minute. guess that's what's going to happen. If you stick your nose in tonight and cheap shot it, that's what is going to happen. You know me, Gene. I took this match with Sting last week for tonight to wrestle for the tag team titles. And Lex Luger, you get with me. From me. No, I'm pointing at you right hey, now. Hey, I'm going to point at you right now. Please, I'm going to jack you in the okay. ring if you get me hot. I knew this would happen. No. We're trying to have an interview here. Number one, you barge into our locker room and you start talking trash. You guys had a match last week. You thought you had something last week. Well, let me tell you, Scotty, it's going to get a lot more intense this week. Hey, hey, you guys. Hey, 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 wait a minute. I'm just a second, gentlemen. Turn around. I'm going to piss on that. Get up. We're going to cut you off the air. I will never interview you people again if you're going to come in here like a bunch of, I just can't believe this thing. We start Nitro on June the 3rd with an interview with the Shark, who hasn't shaved the other half of his hair off to remind him of the embarrassment. He's not the Shark, he's not an avalanche, he's John Tenter. And he's out for revenge. He runs off Big Bubba in the end and wins by countout. We get a promo from Sting and Lex Luger. Plenty of comments surrounding the main event from last week between Sting and Scott Steiner. They get interrupted by Rick and Scott. Luger shoves Scott and the thing diffuses. Good statement that. Next up is the face of fear against high voltage. Barbarian hits a lovely top rope belly to belly suplex. They follow that with a double top rope splash and a mafia kick for the win. The kind of athletic performance that fans will quickly get behind. Lord Stephen Regal defeats Hacksaw Jim Duggan thanks to a distraction from both Earl Robert Ian and Squire Dave Taylor. We see a clip from the main event with a confrontation between Regal and Sting. Regal lays out Sting with a backhand. Back on Nitro, Regal says that when he gets him at the Great American Bash, he wants him at his best. We get a nice video package of Chris Benoit's rivalry with Kevin Sullivan, largely from footage shown from Saturday night over the last couple of months. Sullivan won a squash over Prince Ayukaya. Sullivan's post-match promo mentions Hulkamania. We're still not done with this shit. Sullivan references Brian Pillman as being a quitter. We get the Nitro debut of the Rock and Roll Express. They're facing Flair and Savage, who come out in NFL jerseys. Flair's wearing Green's 91, Anderson's McMi- Anderson McMichael's 76. Warren and Miss Elizabeth have to pull the jersey off of Anderson. It's that tight. They put up a graphic on the screen showing a countdown to the start of the second hour, e.g. when we're all starting. The clock strikes zero and we get a full rack of pyro while the match is going on. We get a double figure four spot with Morton and Gibson on the offence. Flair escape but throws a fit as they regroup on the R way. Flair gets shoved to the ground by the referee. Heenan at one stage wanders over to have a chat with woman and Miss Elizabeth. After a long match, woman rakes the eyes of Gibson, Arndy DTs him and it's all over. We join the banquet table on the R way. Heenan is with Flair, Arn, woman and Elizabeth. Arn says he barely fit into Michael's shirt. Not only are we tougher athletes, apparently we're way too big. Okanen asks Heenan if he's managing Flair and Arn at the Great American Bash. Heenan says he made a promise and he's keeping it. He pulls out a Madden trophy and says, I said I will never manage again, but I will coach. 
Another Blood Runs Cold promo. Glacier is coming soon to WCW. We get a Hogan video package, so we don't forget who he is, obviously. Giant squashes Ice Train instantly with a clothesline off of a distraction. Scott Norton gets in the ring. Giant chokes Lambs Norton twice. Giant asks why WCW are running packages on Hulk Hogan. Can't have got a point. Hugh Morris comes out for his match next with Norton, who's still recovering. Morris hits a leg drop. They then continues the beatdown. He gets a bit cocky. Morris comes off the top, and Norton punches him on his way down and gets the win. They kind of messed that spot up a bit, but they went with it anyway. We get a training video with Green and McMichael learning the ropes, literally. Green thinks he's playing football. McMichael has them a bit better scouted. After McMichael eyes Green's Green eating a Slim Jim, they decide that they need a coach. That man is Randy Savage. We get the main event of the Steiners versus Sting and Luger. Randy Savage phones in on commentary. Savage says he will be the head coach for Green and McMichael. Heenan begs him not to. Giant comes out during the match and chokeslams Rick Steiner on the R-way. The ring clears and Luger goes after Giant. Luger rallies and fights him off with the help of Sting and Scott Steiner. Luger clotheslines him over the top. Heenan ends the show pleading with Savage not to coach the team. And here's Scott Hall. More double denim. Hall pushes Bischoff back into his seat. He cuts a largely the same promo from the previous week. Here comes Sting. I don't see three of you. All I see is you and me. You want to fight? You got one. Only nobody tells me what to do. Razor. And nobody tells me when to do it. Hall flicks his toothpick at Sting. Sting slaps him and the security separate them. Okay, tough guy. I got a big surprise for you next week. We open up June the 10th on Nitro, amongst other things. They open up teasing a renegade match, along with Scott Hall's big surprise. We open up with Booker T and Scott Steiner. Fans seem to be into both men. A nice matchup which Scott, Scott wins cleanly with a belly-to-belly suplex. A post-match promo by Scott Steiner gets interrupted by Deborah McMichael. She's worried that Steve might go crazy and hurt somebody, and that it might be her fault. Darren Dallas Page defeats Jim Powers. Sting defeats Meng in a physical, if short, match with a Scorpion Deathlock. We're backstage with Oakland, Deborah and Bobby Heenan. Heenan says if she wants an audience with Flair, he can go into the locker room. Heenan goes in and slams the door. Deborah comes back out screaming a few seconds later. Carnage ensues outside and we end up with Ric Flair putting Renegade in a figure four let log. Yes, that actually happened. Unfortunately for us viewers, apparently that means we will not be getting the Renegade match as advertised. Jim Duggan knocks out Squire David Taylor with a tape fist. These days he doesn't even try and hide it from the ref. Starting the second hour, Giant faces off against Scott Norton. He chokeslams it on the outside and pins him in the ring. Luger comes out for a post-match attack, but Giant fights him. Giant goes to chokeslam him through the table, still inexplicably jutting out on the R-way. Luger fights him off. Giant goes backstage to try and find him, yet Luger is still out there to give comments to Bischoff. Bit weird, that. Lord Stephen Regal disposes of Billy Kidman. Sting comes out straight after the match and gives him a chop as payback for what happened on Saturday night. A brawl between the Nasty Boys and the Public Enemy ended by DQ when Sags knocked Rocco Rock off the top timber with a trash can. We get another Hulk Hogan video package and a training montage with Michael Green and Savage. Heenan. I would never volunteer to fly Flair and Arn Anderson. That's like signing your own will. Luger and Sting did just that in the main event for the World Tag Titles. This one goes quite a while before Giant comes out. Luger starts attacking him, which apparently means it's a DQ. Scott comes out with a wooden chair. He and Luger and Sting attack Giant 3-on-1. Giant backs away and then calls him a dead man on the mic. 
We get the usual post-match or post-show chat. Heenan goes nuts for a while, and then out comes Hall. No doubt in this time, at least. Bischoff's uh, Heenan scarves at this point. Bischoff says he doesn't want any trouble. Where is the big surprise? The camera pans back, and stood behind Bischoff is Kevin Nash. He says Bischoff has been sitting out there here, running his mouth for six months. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. We ain't here to play. You still don't have your three people because nobody wants to face us. Where's your three guys? What, you couldn't get a paleontologist to get three of your fossils cleaned? Bischoff says, you want three guys? Tomorrow I'll be in Atlanta. I'm going to get you three guys. You guys want to show up on Sunday? I'll see you get your fight. Diesel shows Bischoff and that's how we go off the air. Wow! I tell you what, it happens when you count down to a major... Let me tell you something. Let me tell the world something. Savage is out there watching. Do you think you're going to tear me apart? Put your dirty, dirty hands around my body at the Great American Bash. You, you, and this whole world is wrong. I don't have any beef with you. I didn't take money from Flair that was filtered through your ex-wife to give to me. You're badly mistaken. I wear glasses. I don't want to be touched or bothered. Sounds to me like Bobby Heenan, you are backpedaling. You are really backpedaling now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't want any trouble with you. I don't want any trouble with you here now. But I have to point out, you came out here last week. Where is it? The big surprise. I mean, I heard a lot of talk, but where's the walk? What? I'm here. Where is it? You've been sitting out here for six months running your mouth. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. We ain't here to play. Now he said last week that he was going to bring somebody out here. I'm here. You still don't have your three people. And you know why? Because nobody wants to face us. This show's about as interesting as Marge Schott reading excerpts from Mein Kampf. No trouble here tonight. Speak your piece Yeah, no trouble because you know I'll kick your teeth down your throat. Where's your three guys? You want, you couldn't get a paleontologist to get a couple of these fossils cleared? You ain't got enough guys off a dialysis machine to get a team? Yeah, where's Hogan? Where's Hogan? Out doing another episode of Blunder in Paradise? Where's the macho man, huh? 
doing some Slim Jim commercial? Hey, we're here. You want to say something? Look, I don't have the authority right here, right now. You want to fight? Fight is it with me. You want three guys? Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I'm going to be in Atlanta. I'll be in the offices of WCW. I'll try and get you your fight. And you know what? Live this Sunday in Baltimore, Great American Bash. You guys want to show up? You want to fight? You show up. I'll see if I can get you your fight. I don't know about you, but hey, they love us in Baltimore. Hey, hey Big Man, I say me and you, we'd be at the Bash. Maybe these punks want to fight. Yeah. I'll be there. Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. And we come back in. Uh, we won't quite get to the pay-per-view just yet. There is kind of one angle, or I suppose two, um, that we've kind of got to go into before we do. Um, Wayne, we um, obviously let, let's, you know, we're going to, after the pay-per-view, we'll discuss what followed and what happened at the pay-per-view. Um, but we all knew Kevin Nash was coming in. In terms of the angle that preceded the pay-per-view, I don't think anyone could have hoped or predicted it could have gone as well as it did. No, I mean, like you said, you know, we we, we knew Nash was was going to be coming in. Um, you know, it was a it was a good debut from from him as well. And yeah, the whole the whole angle was uh, was was top notch. And hats off to the uh, to the booking team. I'm not quite sure who's been involved in in the actual booking of this uh, of this angle, but um, whoever it has been has uh, you know top notch all round. From what I can recall, the guys that are getting credit or being praised for this one is is, is national themselves uh, and the other three names that come to mind are eric bischoff uh, kevin sullivan and a name that might be a little bit of a surprise would be terry taylor um in terms of people that are being praised for how, how all of this kind of went down um wayne what was your what was your kind of initial reaction watching it um first time out yeah, the, the are we talking about the debut of Nash? Yes. Yeah, yeah. As uh, as I said, we we knew he was coming. We we already knew from the week prior that uh, that he was going to be coming the week later with the way that Scott all uh, introduced who who was uh, who was going to be coming. But just the fact that he come in, he's he's off camera and then turns up and you know shoving around and, and his actual promo uh, was uh, was was fantastic. I thought you know it's probably. Um, shades of the promos that he was coming out with at the back end of his WWF run, and um, you know some of the, some of the comments he was coming out with about you know cleaning up the sorry for um, paleontologists cleaning up the fossils and um, getting someone off the uh, dialysis machine was uh, was top notch all around. Just making comments of uh, of all the old guys that they've been bringing. So no, I've uh, it's it's brought a, a, a sense of reality to to the show. I mean we've been going on about it for a while now regarding nitro. And uh, and how the how they're booking things differently to the WWF, but this has just um, you know made it uh, you know come on ten full real. Jeff, uh, I I really I mean I thought it was an excellent angle. I think they're doing probably the best single angle they've done in a long time to make it kind of come across as uh, different to what Vince is doing. Uh, the one thing I really noticed was, and I I thought Nash did a, a very good promo, but I I just feel like did Vince McMahon miss the boat on Scott Hall or what? Like right now. <laughs> For me, I hear, I see a guy who, uh, when he has, you know, uh, the previous confrontation with Sting, I see a guy who's bigger, who has more charisma than Sting, and he comes across as much cooler. 
Then you have him up there with Diesel, who was the champion for a year, and I see him just outshining Kevin Nash. I see, you know, doing the, the all, all the spooky fingers and all, all the, the mannerisms, everything he has. I think he has that million-dollar look. And I go, how did they not do more with him and let him go? And, and you know, you always hear the rumors like, well, Vince didn't really care if Nash went because he was somewhat of a bust as champ, but Razor Ramon was a workhorse. And I think he might come away as, as the greatest get from this whole transaction because I just see money all over him. And there's also, uh, to an extent, and not that I think long term, it, it may or may not matter, but I, I think as much as Diesel was a busted champ, which it, it, I, I'm not necessarily contradicting what you said, but in that there's a sense that Scott was not used and that Diesel was a guy that we kind of see at the top, but using it, it's almost a bigger indictment on Vince McMahon if WCW can turn Scott Hall into a star than if they can turn Diesel into a star, or Kevin Nash into a star, in that when he was Diesel, he had a run at the top, and, you know, as much as we looked at it last year and probably said there's just as much, if not more, fault on the WF side for, for Diesel than there was on his own side, he had a run at the top and failed. Some of that's on him. The fact that Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, never really got that run. I mean, I, I'm in complete agreement with you, Jeff. I, I, I think, you know, when they were looking for big guys, I mean, you know, Scott Hall was crying out for a heel turn in, uh, in the WWF last year. And, and, and I think, Jeff, the, the weird thing is, and I, I, I've kind of written a piece about this on the website, is that what didn't Razor Ramon have? Like, it, didn't he tick all the boxes of Vince McMahon in the post-steroid trial era? I, I always think the one thing was that Vince was maybe too married to the gimmick and the accent and the kind of... I'd agree with that, yeah. The kind of mid, mid-intercontinental mid title type character where he didn't want to go full top tier with him. But, I mean, I just... I, I'll even go back to when he was, you know, confronted with Sting and, and he backhand Sting. I just see there's a, a big disparity in star power and charisma. And keep in mind, WCW had the diamond stud for how long? I mean... I, I think I think Scott Hall comes out of this, you know, just the number one prospect. Why you thoughts on Scott Hall? Well, I think we've we've said a lot about him over the uh, over the course of the last twelve months, and my stance won't change on him. I think, like you know, Jeff just said, WWF have, uh, have have really missed the boat on this guy, and he's obviously showing it now, just in the three slash four. Um, Throw naturals. He's uh, he's been on this uh, this month and and, and last. Is uh, how much how much star power he is actually brought with him. Even the small things like when Diesel's kind of giving Bischoff all of the sorry Kevin Nash can get a lot of that. When Kevin Nash is giving you know Bischoff you know like all, all the spiel, Ray raises. Scott Hall's there rubbing Bischoff's hair and like get pushing him about a bit, uh, and that kind of thing. You know, and, and, and to an extent it works in that if you never pick on a person in authority when you do, it's gonna have more impact. Um, I, I, I agree with, with Jeff. I thought, you know, we, we didn't necessarily directly reference the, uh, the, the angle with Sting the previous week, but that was, Excellent too. I think both guys deserve credit for that as well. Sting, Sting is a bit more limited, but you know, get, tell Sting go in there, show a bit of passion. You know, he's he's a pretty good guy for the job. Um, and yeah, it was intense. And uh, as we go through the month, and as we pick through the month, it's gonna get even more intense. Storm me, baby, storm me. All right, I'm here. I'm on the apron. Okay, I'm watching you and protecting your back. This is you, baby. You gotta come hard and low with a cross body block here. Then you gotta get in a four point stance. A football. That's it. Four point stance like you're in goal line. You gotta penetrate on their side of the football and you gotta make the play 
in the back, in the back of the line of scrimmage, right there, tackle for loss, baby. Oh, I can see what you talk. Wait just a minute. Let me get oh. get over in the chair. Wait a minute. You talking football, baby? Yeah, that's right. I know you want to get in that ring and just rip their head off. Exactly, exactly. I, I don't know about that, baby. Yeah, they can counter every move. These boys have been in the business a long time. Now, here's us. I'm going to put us as the X's, and I'm going to put them up as the O's because yep. they're zero. Definitely zero. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, baby. The first thing we got to do is watch out for their signature holes. Yeah. You know the nature boy in that figure four. Yeah. He starts picking that leg up. Do yeah. everything you can to get I've out of there. I've seen that. I've seen that. Art Anderson, he's got that DDT, baby. He'll try to drive your head through the match. Yeah. you got to stay out of that. That stuff really doesn't matter when you come across and you start racking and sacking and you're planning for a tackle for a loss, baby. I know. We're wrestling now, baby. And another thing about wrestling and tag teams, you don't want to get your little ex all the way over here in their corner because them zeros will take care of you. But you gotta penetrate, you man. Got, you gotta penetrate the line of scrimmage on their side of the football. You gotta keep you gotta keep everything on your side of the map. Wait a second, I man. Can, I can see we're gonna be at odds here. Man, we're butting heads, man. I don't know. What do we we we're gotta get together? We what, what can bring us together, we baby? We gotta find somebody to coach us to, to manage us. A manager would be great. That's it. A coach. Are you, are you thinking what I'm thinking? The macho, yeah. Slip. Oh yeah, Coach Macho. He got to get. I know he's. I know they banned him from wrestling, but I wonder if he can still manage. You got the phone number, baby. We got to get it. We got to find it. Call him. Come on, let's go. Okay. Uh, we will move on to the pay-per-view. I did watch the main event before the start of this show, but I didn't take notes. You didn't miss a lot other than Ric Flair making a, 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 a reference to uh, Miss Elizabeth's chest, uh, what he said. I think it was bright light, bigger cities. And he looked down at her chest. Very good, that from Flair. Um, but yeah, other than that, not much to speak of on main event, so we won't review it. Uh, Wayne, you can kick us off with the results of the pay-per-view. The Steiner Brothers defeated Fire and Ice, Scott Norton and Ice Train. Conan defeated El Gato. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Dimalenko defeated Rey Mysterio Jr. John Tenter defeated Big Bubba Rogers. Chris Benoit defeated Kevin Sullivan. Sting defeated Lord Stephen Regal. Rick Fleur and Ann Anderson defeated Kevin Green and Steve McMichael. And The Giant defeated Lex Luger. Jeff, thoughts on this show? I loved it. I thought it was... I thought it was uh, a great potpourri of a, uh, a variety of styles and uh, everything, for, something for everyone's tastes, you know, different matches up and down the card, two really good tags, uh, all the angles, or a lot of the, the top angles really achieved what they wanted to, there was some uh, excellent wrestling in different styles, um, probably the best WCW pay-per-view I've seen in, in that I can remember. Yeah, I, I think the only... And it's not to say it was necessarily even a worse show. I think the only one that sticks out to mind in terms of what we reviewed is, is Spring Stampede from 1994, uh, which I'd probably argue was a marginally stronger wrestling show, um, in that it, it probably had two or three matches that were probably better than the majority of stuff on here. But, I mean, Jeff, we, we, we were, we were here last month reviewing, um, whatever the show, Slamboree. How can the same company in the space of four weeks, five weeks, produce two such diametrically opposed shows. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think that's that's the inconsistency that is WCW. I think you have all these guys under contract that on any given night can lay an egg or can go out there and put on a really good performance. You have tremendous depth uh, when it comes to veterans and workers. 
you just got to put the right pieces in the right spots and, and things should work better. Um, I think a lot of the problem with Slamboree, as we noted, was, you know, certain people maybe not wanting to do jobs and certain people not wanting to put other guys over and it just came out as a, a pretty train wreck schmoz. Wayne, you've sat through a lot of WCW in the last 18 months. Was yeah. was this show, or did it make it all worth it? It certainly did. It certainly did. Um, yeah, I mean, we covered it off in, in, in the news there and, um, you know, their thoughts is it's the it's the best pay-per-view in the two years. And well, That was know, my thought, actually. Uh, your yeah. thoughts, apologies. Well, your thoughts are, uh, are you know, are always positive, as uh, as I mentioned. So, But, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, Bob. I think this is the best pay-per-view uh, by by far from all the ones that since I've started doing the show, which was uh, at the start of 95. So, you know, out of all, you know, the pay-per-views I've sat through, um, you know, this one outshines all the rest of them. Uh, by a considerable amount as well. You know, we had excellent progression of, of storylines. Um, everyone was, uh, you know, I, I say everyone, nine out of ten of the performers hit it out of the park. Um, you know, we had three quality matches in, in, in my eyes and another three that were very, very enjoyable as well. Um, so, you know, you know, like you said, has it been worth it? I think I'm now, now sitting here saying, yeah, it, it finally was worth it. Yeah, well, that that had to pay off eventually, I guess. You'd uh, you, you'd hope so, but I, I just wonder because you know we in uh, in volume one we covered King of the Ring as well. I just wonder whether this Hall and Nash stuff is just lifting the lifting the kind of tide in both companies, and there's a bit more competition going on because it it's a bit coincidental that you know three four weeks after Scott Hall rocks up on Nitro. WWF probably had their best pay-per-view since sometime in 94. I think I preferred Survivor Series to WrestleMania, but sometime in 94. And WCW have their best pay-per-view since probably Spring Stampede in 1994. I don't think that's a coincidence. And if if this competition and all this kind of fighting between the two companies is going to lift the quality of the pay-per-views, then sign me up. Um, there was some... As I, I don't necessarily think there was a great match on this card, but there were a lot of very, very good matches that would have been, on their own, the best match of a lot of pay-per-views that, that say, Wayne has covered with us in the last 18 months. And the one thing where it did stand out, and Dave Meltzer said that in terms of this factor alone, it might be the best pay-per-view he's ever seen, in that they tried three different angles on this show, three quite significant angles on this show, and they were all home runs. And that's uh, that's not something you can guarantee. Anyway, we start the, the, off... The biggest thing as well, sorry, Bob, oh. I should have mentioned it before, is no Hogan as well. It's funny, that. It's funny that. Although not the main event was a great match. Hogan, no. Hogan could have main evented this show and it would have been no less enjoyable. But I know what you mean. Another, another interesting coincidence. We're in Baltimore, Maryland with Tony Schiavone and Dusty Rhodes on the call. Bobby Heenan is off duty for the evening because he's coaching. We start with the national anthem. Craig Pittman comes out carrying the American flag. Dusty pays respect to the late Dick Murdoch saying he'd love a night like this. And we open up with the first match of the evening. It's Fire and Ice, Scott Norton and Ice Train versus the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott. We start with Ice Strain and Scott at a slow tentative pace. We get a leapfrog spot. 
Scott arm drags them both and fire a nice free group on the floor. Rick goes to roll up Norton, but Norton rolls through and levels him with a clothesline. Norton charges at Rick, who stands big and knocks him down. Rick follows that with a belly-to-belly for a two. Norton hits a fallaway slam for a two. Ice Train sends Scott into the corner and then just charges at him. He tries it again, but Scott gets a boot up. Scott hits a belly-to-belly. He goes for another suplex on Norton, and Norton lands hard on his shoulder. Scott comes off the top. Norton catches him and drives him into the mat for a two. Norton hits a brutal-looking shoulder breaker on Scott. Norton follows that with an arm lock. Rick repeatedly kicks Norton in the face, but it takes three or four efforts to break it up. Norton sets up for another shoulder breaker. He hits it, but Rick tags in and levels Norton with a clothesline. Rick hits a big German on Norton. All four men are in the ring. We get a powerbomb splash combo from Fire and Ice, but Scott breaks it up. Fire and Ice set for a doomsday device, but Scott takes Ice off the top. We get a Bulldog Doomsday device from the Steiners, but the pin gets broken up. Scott goes for a Frankensteiner on Norton. He sort of ends up being powerbombed, such as how uh, little rotation he got, but that was the finish, so they went with it. Scott Steiner pins Scott Norton, and the Steiners win the match. Jeff, what do you think? I really enjoyed most of this. Uh, Norton and the Steiners have worked quite frequently with each other in Japan, New Japan in particular, and they seem to have a really good rhythm down uh, for a lot of their spots, uh, even if it's a really specific, strong style of work here where nobody relents or gives too much ground or sees anything. And even if it's kind of Scott sort of dropping uh, Norton on his shoulder and then Norton returning the favor a little bit later. And they work that into the match. You know, I, I always con- consider these like hoss fights, as Jim Ross would say. You know, a lot of throws, a lot of suplexes, a lot of really stiff, uh, hard-looking hits and, and, and clotheslines and lariats, whatever you want to call them. Um, and, and, and speaking to the shoulder, the shoulder work, I mean, I really dug when Norton starts working the Fujiwara armbar, I think, on Scott, and he refuses to let go, and he just starts eating these kicks from, kicks from Rick, who's trying to break the hold, and he's just sticking in there, and, and it's just this type of realism that I really enjoyed. Uh, the gnar, the gnarly looking semi-Frankensteiner was a little, uh, cringeworthy, cause it looked like it could have killed both guys, but, uh, this is the type of match I like. I love the Steiner brothers. I love suplexes. I love Hoss fights. Uh, Bill Watts would have loved this match. That's all I can say. Fine. Yeah, no, same as, uh, same as Jeff really. I'd uh, really, really enjoyed this match. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of when guys get in a ring and just, you know, smack the piss out of each other. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm all for this match. Um, you know, the shoulder drops, I was wincing a little bit. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but Norton as um, um, Norton as a wrestler, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I've not seen much of his work in, in New Japan, admittedly, but from what I've seen of him being on Nitro when he when he made his debut uh, on the, uh, I think it was the very first episode or the second episode, you know, some of the work he's been doing, you know, he's hard hitting, he's stiff, and you know, I really do like that style. So uh, um, as as Jeff said, I was a big fan of, um, of when he had him in the uh, in the armbar and. And he was eating those kicks off off Rick Steiner. Um, you know, he did get a bit of a bit of a pop from me. But um, the the ending was a was a little bit weird. Yet yeah, the you know it was probably a bit of a botch. But you know, I really don't know what was worse. You know, the fact that the uh, um, the the Frankenstein finish was was how they finished, or the fact that they'd actually try and attempt it with Scott Norton in the first place. I was uh, I was racking my brain with that one. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that is a, a fairly good point. Trying to get a Frankensteiner through on both the Scots was uh, 
probably a step too far. And even so, like, given all the physical moves they've done, I don't, you know, I, I, I guess you would have said, well, had they pulled it off, it would have been a, a finish that would have come because it was so impressive rather than it was so impactful, which I guess. Um, but yeah, three for three on this. Four proper tanks just throwing each other around. Um, and that's right. Like the, the one good thing is, I think to an extent, is when you've got four guys that by and large trust each other, they lay in a bit harder. Um, and then you've got some really cool stuff. As you say, I think there was a, a great moment in the match where um, Norton's got the armbar locked in. Rick starts putting some boots in and Norton just holds on. That's great. You don't see enough of that. Like, you know, come at me. You keep hitting me. I'm going to keep this hold locked in. Um I think Ice Train was involved in this match at points. He doesn't feature in my notes very frequently, but he was there as well. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, the tale of the, the match was probably the two Scots who, you know, just... I think that's that's also a point when you work with a guy a lot, when something perhaps goes wrong, uh, you can kind of return a receipt, and there's almost a little bit of respect there. Almost a little bit. I don't know. Maybe, knowing the Steiners, maybe they were pissed. Who knows? Um, but yeah, a really, really good opening match. I remember... It was either on pay-per-view or on TV, and we had a kind of five or six-minute version of this match, and I said, let's see this again. This was why. Let's see this again. And I wouldn't begrudge it getting another match. Um, I guess you'd have to try and tell a different story, uh, but very good. Taskmaster cuts the promo. He seems to be reading from a script below the camera. We were next to El Gato versus Conan for the WCW United States title. Gato starts with a leg whip, then an arm drag. Conan responds with an arm drag by the top rope, then hits El Gato inside out with a clothesline. We get a double leapfrog. Gato ducks them both and hits a big side kick. Conan goes into the ropes and goes up for a hurricane runner, but Gato catches him into a powerbomb. Gato misses a baseball slide to the outside. They get on the apron. Conan hits a lovely sunset flip over the apron, powerbombing Gato to the floor. Gato tries a leg scissors while hanging onto the top rope. Conan grabs him and just slams into the mat for the win. Jeff, um, I I just watched this match and I see the you know Conan is holding the U.S. title, which should you know be the WCW's second biggest title. And I, I ask, how does this match help get him over as a as a main event you know legitimate star? Uh, you know the logic would say you put him in there with somebody more over than him, give him the rub you know, against a higher higher caliber star, let the fans show he can hang at that level, and then, you know, you start to create a new star. I think Cohen has all of the potential tools to get over as a, as a big star or, uh, you know, uh, specifically a, a really cool um, ethnic baby face, probably. Uh, he's got a great look. He's got a, a lot of good athleticism. Um, they put him in there with Pat Tanaka, who's, you know, famous for being a really good hand. Uh, that would have been fine for like a WCW Saturday night or a main event where he could squash the guy. But when he's the U.S. champion and he's, you know, giving Pat Tanaka offense on the second match of the card, that doesn't do anything for him. And uh, I think that does a disservice to Kona. It does a disservice to the U.S. title. The match was serviceable and fine. Um, but I, I don't think there's any positives to gain momentum on a guy you probably should be gaining momentum with. Why? Yeah, Jeff said right at the start that, you know, he really enjoyed this pay-per-view because, um, because of the different variety and, and of styles. And, um, I've, I've got to agree with him, but 
I, I just didn't like this uh, this style at all. I wasn't I wasn't a fan of this match. Um, I, you know, I was quite bored throughout, and there was no heat coming into it. There was there was no heat throughout the match, and uh, I was just very disappointed. But what I'm more disappointed with disappointed with is uh, is, is with Conan really. Um, you know, he, he come in. I was I was quite excited about his uh, you know coming into WCW and what we was going to see from from things I've heard in the uh, in in the past, and it's just really disappointed me so far. And uh, I mean, I'm not happy with his run very disappointed with that and uh, for me he's, he's um, he, you know he's, he's, he's done nothing at all as a, as a performer and he's certainly done nothing for that title that he's holding yeah um, I, I think Jeff touched on it best when it's like you know Conan's a relatively fresh act and you're putting him with a guy that nobody knows about uh, what does that do for Conan like you know Conan's a guy on the way up he needs to beat people above him not below him I think that was a problem with this match the match in itself was fine it was technically very good. Pat Tanaka can go. Conan can go. Jeff, is it a fair assessment of Conan that he is about as good as the opponent you put him in the ring with? Uh, yeah, that's a very fair assessment. Like, you know, his work down in Mexico, it's all about a lot more heat seeking and, and selling and psychology and really getting into the, to, to how to work a crowd. And I think when you're coming into WCW and they're not very familiar with you, uh, it's more incumbent on him to be more athletic and to do a lot more things that they're asking of him. And while he can do high spots, you know, he has to fill, uh, you know, fill in between the lines. And I don't think he's there yet as a, as a worker. So it's, it would be probably a lot more optimum for everybody involved to put him in there with really good hands who are established. I mean, I mean, obviously the token answer would be let him work six months with Arn Anderson. Uh, but I think if everybody who needed to work with Arn Anderson could, we'd have a lot more stars. Um, unfortunately, we can't clone yet, I don't think, Bob. So, uh, until, think we can, so. until we can get 50 Arn Andersons to work with all these guys, uh, we're stuck with Pat Tanaka. But yeah, I mean, Conan, he had some, he had some great stuff with Jake Roberts, obviously with the AAA, the AAA deal. Um, it's just a matter of putting him in there with guys who can highlight his strengths, emphasize his strengths, and hide his weaknesses. Yeah, um, yeah, Conan needs name opponents. He doesn't need, to an extent, I mean, I know he had a really good match with Psychosis, I think, back on The Clash, but he doesn't even need matches like that. Like, to an extent, I mean, okay, if he's having, if he's having great matches off the reel, it won't matter. But I, I'd rather him, maybe not Jim Duggan, that's probably too far the other way, but put him in the ring, so he's very fast, put him in the ring with a guy fans care about that can go with him to a good match. Arn Anson's a perfect example. People like that. You can put him in the ring with that will help get him over. That's what he's missing. We get a promo from Sting who dials in a fairly decent British accent he calls Regal a prissy. Sting loses his trail of thoughts and pretends he's about to say something controversial. Not getting past me, Sting. I know you mucked that up. Next up, it's Darren Dallas Page versus Marcus Bagwell for the Lord of the Ring prize. Bagwell turns his back and Page bundles into the outside to gain an early advantage. They brawl on the outside and Bagwell drills Page into the guardrail. We get a double leapfrog spot, then Bagwell just knocks Page down. Bagwell knocks Page to the outside, then dies out there with him. Bagwell climbs to the top, but Page stumbles into the ropes to crotch Bagwell. Dusty suggests that you want to try that at home. Jump on top of the clothesline from the top of your roof. Maybe don't try that. Page hits a gut wrench backbreaker of sorts. We get a long abdominal stretch. Page hits a tombstone flapjack for a two. Bagwell rallies with a clothesline and a back elbow, then a slingshot clothesline for a two. Bagwell hits a, a head scissors and both men go down. Page is a desperation diamond cutter, rolls over Bagwell and pins him clean for the three. Jeff, 
Um, my main note here was I, I really appreciated that the commentary started calling him Mark Bagwell instead of Marcus Alexander Bagwell, um, because that's just such an annoying mouthful, and it's, it's not like being called the American male is going to get, you know, a bunch of teenage boys buying his T-shirt. I think they really – I think they have an athletic, handsome young man there in, in Mark Bagwell, um, but Marcus Alexander Bagwell, it just seems kind of nerdy. seems a little, you know, over the – just it just – I think there's, there's some raw goods there. I think Vince McMahon could do something special with him. Uh, he's got a great drop kick, which is always something I appreciate from a, from a white meat baby face. Um, you know, other notes, Diamond Cutter obviously getting progressively more over with fans. Page works really hard. Um, my I really appreciated the commentary during this match, um, especially Dusty. I thought he uh, really hammered home a lot more coherency than usual. Um, he really, you know, nailed down a little more of the psychology of why the guys were doing what they were doing, how it would hurt. Uh, he was making fun with Shivani's an- analogies, like you mentioned, about, uh, you know, falling off the roof. And I, I, I was thinking Dusty maybe took this more seriously uh, due to the passing of his late friend Dick Murdoch and, and maybe thought to bring a little more professionalism in an A-game tonight. Um because a lot of the time these guys, these commentators seem to just phone it in. And for this match with two guys who are kind of on the bubble of relevancy, commentary can help push these guys, bump these guys up a level. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I'd agree with the Dick Murdoch sentiment. I think it probably also helped during this, this show. One, that it was a, a very good show. And two, also that Bobby Heenan wasn't there. Um, you know, Dusty will bounce off Heenan and a lot of it isn't great. With Heenan not around, Dusty's actually got to focus more on the action, and that came across as well. Wayne, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, first things first. Uh, after the reports that we've that we've read in the news ourselves um, regarding Bootyman not wanting to uh, to to do the job for um, uh, for for Page, I never thought I'd be thanking him, but you know, thank you, Bootyman, for not putting us through what we saw a couple of months back. Um, but um, you know, the match itself, uh, you know. It wasn't a great match. It wasn't a bad match. You know, it was probably somewhere in, you know, in, in between of that. I think it probably could have been a little bit better. Um, you know, DDP is, you know, is still a, a little sloppy on a, on, a, on a few moves, but look, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's took great strides in um, with, with his character and, and, and his actual move set as a whole. And you know, this is a guy that we give honourable mention to in the, uh, you know, end of year awards in '95. And I think it's a guy that we're going to talk about um, in some detail at the uh, at the end of the '96 year awards. So uh, you know, no, no real criticism on 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 you know DDP because he's you know he's really really improved. But I, I think. I was probably expecting more from from Bagwell. You know, we, I've seen him in tag matches over the last few years with uh, uh, two called Scorpio and, and, and Patriot, and uh, and obviously, you know, his, his tag team that he just got together in the uh, the American Males, and you know, I enjoyed his work that I've uh, that I've seen. But this, I was probably expecting too much from him as a, as a singles competitor in in this match, and I think you know this could have been the platform for him to you know to get out of the tag team picture and and, and get on a on a singles run, but. Unfortunately, it just didn't do it for me at all, and it was a bit of a disappointment because you know there was his comeback as well. You know there was no real fire, um, and maybe that's due to uh, due, due to his size and and the move set that he's that he's doing is uh, you know he can't do that move set that he did as a tag wrestler because he's you know he's he's, he's put on quite a bit of size in the uh, you know in the last few months, if not a little bit longer. Yeah, I think uh, I think Dave Meltzer referenced that. Um... You know, people are maybe looking into his size too much and forgetting the back he's, he's actually quite a good wrestler. Uh, and I'd agree with that. I think these are two guys that are on their way up the card. 
uh, paid probably more so than Bagwell. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of nice match. And I think, dare I say, I think this is probably a match that on another show would have stood out a bit more. Uh, given that it's in amongst a lot of really good matches, it's perhaps one of the more forgettable on the show. But it was a, a solid match and the Diamond Cutter's getting over. Um, you know, you have a guy use a finisher regularly that looks quite cool. And if he pins people with it, people will start reacting to it. And they are starting to. Got a way to go before it gets to kind of torture rack levels of over. But Pages is on the way. We had a really nice promo from the Giant previous match with Lex Luger. And we move on to Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Dean Malenko for the WCW Cruiserweight title. An exchange of flips and holes. They each exchange an arm lock, a kip up and a standoff. Mysterio counters an airplane spin into a lovely arm drag that sends Malenko to the outside. Mysterio jumps off the second rope over the top and then drop kicks Malenko off the apron. Mike Tanay is on commentary, which is always useful given that he gives us a proper background on Mysterio, who he says has been wrestling since the age of 14. Malenko hits a catapult, sending Mysterio over the top to the floor. Malenko goes for a baseball slide, but Mysterio retreats back into the ring. Malenko goes after Mysterio's arm with a nice arm lock. He puts an arm between the guardrail and then kicks it. Mysterio springboards off the top with a drop kick. Goes for a hurricane rana, but Malenko catches him and then kicks into the floor. We go back to the arm. Today mentions that on Thursday, Eddie Guerrero won the Super Juniors tournament in Japan. Lots more arm holds, then a surfboard stretch. Malenko drops Mysterio out of the stretch into a nice bridging pin for a two, then goes back to the left arm. He goes for a butterfly suplex, gets a two, then goes back to the arm. Mysterio sends Malenko tumbling through the middle ropes who takes out the cameraman. Inexplicably, Mysterio's arm is now far enough to allow him to hit three springboard moves in a row. Some lovely transitions. Mysterio hits a Frankensteiner after vaulting off the top rope for a two. Malenko goes for a, up the top. Mysterio hits a Frankensteiner off the top. Mysterio counters a block for a two. Mysterio jumps on Malenko's shoulders. Malenko slams him down into the mat with a powerbomb then uses the ropes of leverage for a pin and for the three. Um... Jeff, I I think a lot of people are going to really like this match. The one thing that took it out of it for me was Mysterio just didn't sell the arm. Well, I mean, again, I I think over the the months and years I've done this podcast, one of the things that I kind of always harken back to is kind of that old school logic. And if he's not going to sell the arm, you lay it in a little harder until it starts to feel kind of like it really hurts. And then you realize if I sell the arm, it'll stop really hurting. And, uh, I, I think, I think if Malenko wanted to lay it in here, he could have. I don't think it was an issue of, of, of anything but that lucha style where you have a lot of high flying, a lot of suspended reality. You want to showcase the best Mysterio has to offer. So right there, you just want to have him do the springboards, do the moonsaults, do the whatever, the flippy flops, whatever, and just kind of, you know, put the psychology aside. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's the best I can give you right there. Why? Well, I, I really did enjoy this match, and uh, you know, the, the selling by Mysterio at the end didn't deter me away from that either. Uh, I thought it was, you know, great psychology by uh, by Malenko throughout, and at the part where Mysterio was getting the beat down. You know, I thought he actually did a good job of the selling. Then, yes, later on when he was doing the uh, um, the springboard attempts. 
you know, it, it is selling left, a, you know, a little bit to be desired. But, you know, the, the, the match itself, I thought it told a really, really good story of the fact that um, Mysterio was needing to, you know, really be the high flyer because he's not going to be able to compete with uh, with Malenko in, in his style. Um, but in regards of uh, of the beatdown that Mysterio did get, my, my, my issue right at the start of the beatdown was why is he not going for the legs? Mysterio's a high flyer, tech out the legs, but... Tanay on commentary, who I thought did a tremendous job during this match, um, you know, actually put my mind at ease by, you know, saying that Milenko adapts and, you know, actually attacking his weakness, which I thought really good, you know, really did a good job of, uh, of putting Milenko over that, you know, I can just adapt to any, anything really. And, you know, you show me a sign of weakness and I'm, I'm going straight for it. And, um, you know, the, the finish out of nowhere, Probably fits, you know, Milenko's uh, assassin Iceman gimmick, which I'm, which I'm really buying into. And, uh, you know, again, that goes with, uh, with him going for the weakness before. And, uh, you know, the, the match, um, I'd probably say put Mysterio over, um, and, and really put him on, on the map as well. Now, you know, I'm not saying this for, for his style. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his style, but the fact that he, you know, didn't give up during the match and, uh, and Milenko had to cheat to win, which, Watching the the rematch in the uh, episode of Nitro the night after has has, has annoyed me a little because uh, um, Malenko's um, not a heel character, um, but the fact that he's had to cheat to win in this match, but then pins him clean in the rematch the next night, I just didn't buy it at all and just didn't sit with me well. Yeah, uh, I, I think that there's there's some inconsistency issues here in terms of they brought Mysterio in as this potentially you know quite big name Lucha act loses two out the gate first one via you know first one via kind of heel tactics and second one just completely clean. There's also the kind of factor that this wasn't really a Lucha style match. Um, as Jeff alluded to, my criticism of Mysterio is, I think, probably quite valid, but also I think Mysterio has a good excuse in that the Lucha style doesn't involve a lot of selling. One, it impeded how this match came across, but two, it probably impeded Mysterio's ability to kind of get himself over. We saw some of it, the match on Nitro, he probably saw a little bit more, but it was, it took a while to take. Um, Jeff, your thoughts on Malenko? Um, clearly a very good act, but it's, it's not quite clicking. Well, when the act is he's an ice man, which is kind of like saying he's okay if he's boring. Uh, I don't know. I, I think he's so technically great. In Call the- him Mr. Boring. I, yeah. I, think, I think it's just he's so smooth and he, I appreciate what he does, but you could appreciate it so much more if he put some – I'm not saying he has to be, you know, a dazzle, you know, nature boy, Ric Flair, wooing, chopping, doing all that stuff. But there needs to be a little more emotion, pardon me, a little more emotionality and expressiveness in his body language and his facial expressions. So we see something resonate I, I, uh, in his actions, uh, whether he's a heel or a face or a tweener or what, you know, the masked guy in the ring is giving more is putting across more facial expressions than he is. And I think that there's only a certain level Malenko can get in a North America in today's North American pro wrestling without putting a, a lot more uh, emotionality, body language, facial expression. How do you connect with a viewer if you don't put across that anything really matters to you? And uh, I, I get the the gimmick of being you know Ice Man, ice running through his veins, but I think he can be a much bigger star 
if he starts to show personality like, you know, Chris Benoit is a very vicious and ferocious and intense guy. And maybe he's not the most charismatic guy on the mic, but you know he means business. We know the Iceman mean, means business, but we also don't really see him do much of anything when it comes to caring. Yeah, um, I, I feel like when ECW presented Malenko as a sidekick to, to James, uh, Jason, sorry, um, they kind of had it right. Now, Jason was mid-card, but at least with Malenko, it was like the, the he can stand behind him as the enforcer act. I don't know that Malenko's a lead act, certainly not yet. He, he does, as a wrestler, he is, you know, up, right up there. But he doesn't have those emotive skills. So you put with a guy like Mysterio, who one wrestles behind a mask and two people haven't seen before. You are relying on your in-ring work alone to make it work. And people have done that before. And you watch their match on Nitro and towards the end fans started getting into it. We need a bit more than that, I would say. Lex Luger cuts a really good promo previewing his match with the Giant. We will next do Big Bubba with Jimmy Hart versus Big John Tenter. We start out with Tenter slamming Bubba into the ring steps. Back in the ring, Tenter drops his weight onto Bubba. We stand back up. Bubba hits a lovely right hand. Hart hands Bubba something. The ref checks Bubba, who's clean, it seems. Bubba hits an enziguri. Bubba tries a pin using the ropes. The ref sees it this one. Bubba drags Tenter's legs around the ring post and drives one into it. Bubba hits a big belly-to-back suplex. He comes off the top, but tends to catch him into a slam. Hart does that thing where the manager stands on the apron, turns around, thinks it's obviously Bubba doing the move and doing the pin. So Hart counts along with the pin. It's a three, but he turns around. But of course, because Tenta counted the move, he wins the match. Afterwards, Tenta grabs a pair of scissors and chops off a bit of Bubba's beard. Jeff, we won't spend too long on this because it wasn't much. But what do you think? Uh, yeah, I don't want to spend any time on this. I thought it was a complete waste of time. Uh, I, I like Big Bubba. I think he's a really good big man. I think he's got a lot of fire, a lot of speed, a lot of personality. I didn't see the point of him being in this match, though, because I don't think there's much legs to the John Tenta character. I didn't see really the point of putting this on pay-per-view. Um, this was just, uh, you know, time filler. Why? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was just time filler, you know, from the Malenko Mysterio match to to the match that we're going to get next. You're going to have to put something like this in. in uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, John Tenter's not been relevant for some time. Big Bubba, like Jeff, I'm a big fan of him. But uh, unfortunately, it just feels like he's treading water at the moment, whether it's due to motivation or what, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But the match itself, complete dud. And the finish was, was you know, it was it was crap, basically. You know, there was no real revenge for, for Tenter, which says to me, and, and we got it the night after, we're going to get another guy, a match from these guys. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, I, I, I will, I did at the start, I will at the end, I'll compare this show with Spring Stampede. On that night, Bubba, as the boss, faced the Vader in a very, what, a match that I very much enjoyed. This wasn't that. Um, this was just two big guys that don't quite mesh. Uh, you know, it, does, does changing from Avalanche to Shark to Big John Tenter, you know, does that make me care, WCW? I don't think it does. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things. It was filler. Let's move on. We join Minji in Oakland with the McMichaels, Steve and Deborah, and the Greens, Kevin and his wife, Terry. We get a shouty promo from both players, and then Savage comes in. We will next to Chris Benoit versus the Taskmaster with Jimmy Hart in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Benoit runs him over in the R-way. The brawl starts. They exchange slaps by the guardrail, and we go into the crowd. 
We go deep into the stands, up the stairs and into the concourse. From the concourse we go into the men's toilets. And for once this is not a gimmick set of toilets. You have to go somewhere to gimmick a set of toilets. This is actually a real set of gents and there are people in there. Imagine that. Taskmaster slams Benoit into a toilet, then slams the cubicle door on his head. Benoit sits on Taskmaster onto a commode, so sits Taskmaster onto a commode, then slaps him. Taskmaster tries to put his face into it. Taskmaster grabs a bag full of toilet rolls and hits Benoit over the head with it. They exchange shots with a bin. Dusty implores them to go into the women's room. Calm down, Dusty. Come on. Uh, there are fans everywhere on this concourse. Taskmaster pushes Benoit down the steps. Then again, we slowly edge our way back into the ring. Taskmaster crotches Benoit on the guardrail, then just chucks a chair at him. Benoit goes under the ring and tries to get a table. Fails. He throws Sullivan into the crowd and then gets the table out. Benoit rests the table on the ropes. Sullivan throws him towards it and then charges at Benoit, who moves. Taskmaster hits it hard, but it doesn't break. Benoit plays the table across the top rope, as he did in ECW last year. He and Sullivan get up there. Benoit hits a suplex off the top of the table. The crowd pop big for that. And then again, when he wins the match. We'll come to the post-match angle in a minute. Wayne, what do you think of the match? Oh, I absolutely love this. This was great from, from start to finish. As I said, the, the um, match one, you know, guys who were just stiff and, and beating the hell out of each other. I'm all for it, and, uh, and and these guys did not disappoint. And the fact that the you know the the fight in in a, in a real um, concourse with uh, a, a real bathroom, as you said, and and not a la la, and not a fake concession stand, for example, it makes all the difference. It's it's more believable. Um, I, I really, as I said, I, I, I enjoyed it throughout. I thought it was great, and uh, and you know I had some laughs right as well, especially. The part where they had the, uh, you know, the bathroom brawl, um, you know, you had all the guys coming in, you know, the, the crowd inside the toilet, uh, inside the bathroom, and uh, you know, there was a guy there <laughs> holding a baby. I mean, you know, there's there's there's, there's times and places, and I, I don't think that was it. I had a, you know, a little chuckle with that, and then when they were fighting inside the uh, the bathroom and then started to leave. You know, a guy just pops out of uh, one of the cubicles, which, uh, you know, he was like a bit startled. What, what's going on here? It was just, it just, you know, really, um, really did make me laugh. And, you know, the sheer fact that they're, they're beating the piss out of each other. And then, you know, Kevin Sullivan, or Taskmaster just thinks, right, okay, I'll just start hitting you with toilet paper. It was just, uh, um, you know, in a match like this, you, you know, you, you don't want to be getting, uh, um, you know, fun moments out of it, but I just couldn't help myself. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give, um, credit to WWF, credit where credit's due. You know they really do know how to uh, succeed at crowd control because uh, WCW failed miserably at this. Whether it was in the bathroom, whether it was outside, it was quite scary at some points. Um, and you know Doug Dillinger did a, a you know a, a really really bad job of uh, of keeping keeping the uh, you know the crowd in check. Um, when they well obviously they took the brawl back to the ring and and when they got back in the brawl you know they didn't disappoint there as well. And I thought the superplex finish was uh, was pretty cool, but unfortunately if it takes two refs and a manager to hold the table to conduct that move, it just takes the shine away and you know to, you know stops the magic from. Uh, uh, I'll stop, you know, appearing like magic. But everything, you know, very enjoyable brawl and, uh, you know, no, no real complaints from me. Jeff? Uh, yeah, I thought this was this was just fantastically realistic, uh, extremely, uh, just an extremely intense street fight. The one thing I really enjoyed about this was 
I mean, they met and just started throwing hands at the beginning. It didn't feel choreographed. It didn't feel cooperation. There was uh, a sense that this was an organic, you know, Pier 6 brawl. They went into a real bathroom with, you know, real folks. There wasn't staging. Uh, it, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think of the, and you can you can look it up, uh, the Tupelo concession stand brawl, which was Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee versus the Blonde Bombers, which... Uh, which was Larry Latham and a young Wayne Ferris who ended up being Honky Tonk Man. But they ended up going and actually fighting in a real concession stand. And you actually saw them throwing hands and, and it looked like a fight. And when people try to replicate that and it looks, well, you know, faux or inauthentic, it loses that luster of it feeling legitimate. And this had this awesome feel of hard-hitting, smash-mouth fight. Um, yeah, I, my only maybe issue with it was if they were going to fight all over the building i would like to see a falls count anywhere match and anywhere but the ring but altogether i mean i have very little use for kevin sullivan as a pro wrestler at this point he's at that you know the chic abdullah mark lewin stage of his career where he's just he can brawl he can blade he can basically you know throw chairs but other than that he's not a great worker never really was but for this match this was the perfect dance partner uh, Benoit won. I want to see him go on and have better opponents. And this was a significant match for him and his career, I think. Yeah, um, this was really exciting. Uh, I think, Jeff, you're right. The, they, they went right out from the bell, didn't even get in the ring, I don't think. Got straight into the crowd. Um, and yeah, I, you know, having sat through so many supposed extreme matches that WCW are putting on, be them false count anywhere or something like that, that have threatened to do a lot that end up being a very style, will go up the R way, will brawl in the fake concession style that nobody's in, and then when the match, that are like, well, they're okay, they're a bit different, but they're nothing like you advertise. This was every everything they advertised and more. Um, you know, imagine being at a wrestling show. And, you know, well, imagine one being at a wrestling show and not thinking, oh, it's John Tenter and Big Bubba, I'll go for a piss now, and actually leaving it for the following match. Not that you necessarily, not that you necessarily would have expected Benoit and Taskmaster to be much better, but there we are. Imagine going for a piss during this show, and then looking over and seeing Kevin Sullivan come in, followed by Chris Benoit, followed by a cameraman, and followed presumably by a guy holding an audio mic, and maybe someone else, and Doug Didinger, and then fans start piling in, that'd be mental. And that's exactly what some people got to experience. Um, this was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think Taskmaster is a guy who has a limited shelf life these days, but there's certain things he can still just about do. And Benoit's fantastic. Um, and they mesh quite well. It's quite believable. It's a really good finish to the match, too. Again, he didn't do the exact same thing in ECW, but he actually did something worse. I can't remember who he actually powerbombed. It was probably Sabu. But he laid a table across the top turnbuckle, stuck a chair, unfolded onto the table, and then powerbombed Sabu off of the chair through another table. I think that was February last year in ECW. If you want to hear us discuss that. Um, that was nuts. This was nuts. Probably my favourite match of the night. And now we move on to something very, very fun. The attack continues post-match. Hart calls out Anderson, and Anderson pulls Benoit off of Taskmaster. He lets Taskmaster get to his knees. Also the idea being, pull Taskmaster up, and we can beat up Benoit. 
Not so. Arn instead turns on Taskmaster. The crowd explode as Benoit and Anderson reunite. The attack is quite brief as Bubba, Max and the Barbarians come out to run them off. They escarper, but that was fantastic. Jeff? Yeah, I, I just... Every time I see Arn Anderson in one of these situations, whether it's working Ric Flair at Fall Brawl or or here, and the fans pop because they kind of just want to cheer him for being a badass... He doesn't waste a single motion. Everything he does has such precision and such, he's such a great performer and he's aligned with these, you know, dastardly satanic heels from the Dungeon of Doom, but then he turns. And when he's laying in kicks, there's this, you know, pack mentality where you really get that gang mentality that he's really doing that. Uh, you know, Arn Anderson's a, legit, a legitimate guy. Benoit's a legitimate guy. I really liked that finish. And it sets up, you know, it really mints Benoit as a horseman because, you know, there's no one more legit than Arn Anderson. And I'd include Ric Flair in that as when it comes to being a real horseman. Um, so it, it was great. The, 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 the execution, the payoff, everything. I enjoyed the hell of it. Why? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, I think it's all the better that, uh, you know, the, the working once again as a, as a cohesive unit, you know, I've never really understood the, um, uh, the re- well, obviously, the, the reason why was obviously because of Pillman. Um, the the issues of why Iron started to side with uh, with Dungeon of Doom a little, but uh, you know, it just didn't sit with me that well. So the fact that this has happened now is, uh, um, and you know, everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet is uh, is, is all the better for me because um, you know, the, you know, the horsemen all together is uh, you know is, is a really good unit. Yeah, big fan. Um, it was the right booking decision. Uh, we kind of, you know, we look at Benoit and think, do we need this Taskmaster feud to go on forever? I don't think we do. Um, not necessarily say it's over, but if, if this had, if this angle hadn't have happened, it would have been, well, Benoit's options are another match with Taskmaster or something. At least now it's like, well, okay, there might be some more with Taskmaster, but he's back with the horseman. And, you know, maybe a crowd shouldn't be popping that big for a, a heel faction kind of, you know, sorting their shit out. Um, but that was fantastic. Great little angle, great little kind of swerve almost. Um, fantastically executed. These two are great and, uh, long live the horseman. Means you know, can get a bit pervy with woman and Elizabeth. Arneson makes it backstage with Benoit and Flair. Arn said Benoit earned the right to join the Horseman. He said Taskmaster tried to poison the Horseman. We are now at war. We will next to Lord Steve Regal versus Sting. Sting goes straight after Regal, sending him over the top into the guardrail. Regal throws one hell of an uppercut, doesn't he? Some shenanigans later, Regal has some fantastic facial expressions. We get a test of strength. Sting wings out. Regal bridges onto his head, then quite nicely escapes and regains control. Sting hits a great running sunset flip, but Regal kicks out. Regal lines Sting up, then hits a lovely drop kick to Sting's ear. Regal gets a chin lock in by the camera, then starts singing Rule Britannia. Regal's interactions with the camera are great the entire match. We get a mid-ring collision. Regal comes off the ropes. Regal goes back to the arm. Sting rallies, hits a fantastic drop kick, and generally fires up. Regal locks in another submission, but can't believe it hasn't done the job. Regal hits the same backhanded slap he did on Saturday night. That fires up Sting no end, which brings the crowd to life. Sting goes for the Stinger Splash. Regal gets his knees up. Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock and Regal submits. Wayne? Another match that I, I really enjoyed. Um, you know, again, I was going into it, I was eagerly anticipating what I was, uh, was going to be in for. 
Um, coming out of it, I'd probably say that I enjoyed it more because of because of Regal. Um, I think he absolutely knocked it out of the park. His, his mannerisms during the match. Um, I mean, not just during this match. I think this month, as as you know, if you could ever have an MVP for the month. It would probably be Regal's month. I think he's been fantastic throughout. I mean, I actually enjoyed a Duggan match on, on Nitro um, because of Regal. Um, but obviously, just going back to the match, as I said, the, the mannerisms throughout was great. I think he's uh, he's on the top of his game at the minute. Um, and, um, you know, the beatdown throughout from, from Regal was, uh, was, was very good. I think probably the only issue that you could probably have is... Um, the, when he had the regal stretch on, I just don't think the crowd was um, giving enough heat off the back of it and wanting um, the the comeback from Sting. Um, and then obviously we got the comeback from Sting, and you know I touched on Bagwell's uh, comeback before, and you know usual Sting, full of fire, you know great comeback, and uh, um, you know that's probably what you got to aspire to if you if you're looking for uh, for, for an all out guns blazing uh, uh, comeback. But yeah, thumbs up, really enjoyed it, but it was it was probably nine five ninety five percent of it. Because of Regal, Jeff. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I think Regal is just so awesome. He's firing on all cylinders. He's he's really like a near perfect heel at the moment. I think he. I, I agree with Wayne. I think he's this month's MVP. Uh, the Duggan match on Nitro. I thought again, it's like Regal is pulling out just all the stops. The way he's working the camera. The way he's you know just healing everybody. It's 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 tremendous, and it's. It's a shame he's not given, you know, maybe a little more spotlight. I think, you know, honestly, if WCW looks at their heel roster, um, you know, for all the Dungeon of Doom did, I think if you give Steven Regal the U.S. title, it's really going to no use on Conan right now. I just want to see this guy run with it. I mean, he he is so fresh and so different from a lot of everybody else on the roster, really, in 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 putting together, he's, he's snug and smash mouth like, like Benoit, but he's, he's fun and gets kind of the more, the more performativity aspect of it that like a flair would. Like he has all of these various heel attributes that come together and make him just a tremendous performer, performer. Uh, the match itself, um, my only issue is that I, the finish and the comeback kind of came a little bit out of nowhere. I know the fans really, you know, pop for Sting's comeback, but it was like Sting's comeback, boom, Scorpion Deathlock, finish. And I think Regal, I think Regal to that point kind of deserved better to make, be a little more uh, competitive. But overall, Regal's just a stud. Uh, where he goes from here, uh, they they really have something with him there, and they should use him properly. Yeah, um, three for three on Regal. Uh, he is a riot. He's you know everything about his act is great, and I I think it it perhaps even overshadows the fact he's a very very good wrestler. Um, this that that all being said, I I don't you know maybe it's just because this match didn't feel like it had many consequences. It was a match that was kind of set up on about two or three weeks' notice. Other than that, I don't I feel like this match could have been more. Perhaps it needed something more riding on it. Perhaps it needed a title riding on it. Maybe, um, but yeah, they the match was technically very good without perhaps a lot of drama. Um, but both guys are excellent and and I talk about matches earlier that I'd like to see before. This is the kind of match that I would like to see again. Uh 
Michael Buffer is on hand for the two main events. We are up next. Rick Flair and Arn Anderson with Miss Elizabeth Woman and head coach Bobby the Brain Heenan versus Steve Mongo McMichael and Kevin Green with Deborah McMichael and Terry Green and head coach Randy Savage. Mongo and Green go through the full scale defensive line warm up. We start with Arn and McMichael. There's a huge sheet held up in the crowd which reads Mongo sucks in big lettering. Arn does a hammerlock, then does some jumping, uh, some jumping jacks or star jumps. Mongo whips the arm. Arn, does an arm responds with a leg sweep. Mongo calls for a three-point stand standoff. I suspect this will be a bit better than Vader and Yokozuna last month, and it is. Mongo levels arm with his shoulder. Mongo comes off the first turnbuckle with a shoulder tackle. Flair goes to step into the match, but bolts when he sees McMichael coming towards him. Green gets involved in a two-on-one attack. Anderson bails to the outside, but runs into a right hand from Savage. Green tags in. He wants Flair. Green does some push-ups, uh, then does some spins. Flair gets in and starts strutting. Flair wants a three-point stance. Green dips for one, but Flair just kicks him in the head. Flair backs away, which gives Green enough room to hit a lovely shoulder tackle. Green impersonates Flair's strut, which rips up the crowd no end. Flair goes up the R-way. Savage brings him back. Green hits some clotheslines. Mongo tags in and chases Arn away so he can get Flair where he wants him. Flair begs off. Flair goes for a chop, then a second. Does anyone sell these anymore? I've got it in my notes. But Michael drives him into the other corner, then does some chops of his own. Flair takes another back body drop. Flair goes to the top. Mongo sends him flying. This is Flair's greatest hits, this. Mongo puts Flair in the figure four. Green charges at Arn and puts him in one two. One of the Flair women pulls Mongo off the hold. Woman and Elizabeth then run the wise up the R-way. Mongo gets attacked on the outside. Savage comes to his aid and tells him to fire up. Even Heenan gets a shot in. Heenan's reaction when Savage comes after him is fantastic. Mongo goes for a choke. Flair low blows him. Flair and Arn hit a double suplex. Green gets back involved to get Arn out of there. Double clothesline with Flair and Mongo. Both men go down. Mongo manages to hit Flair into Arn and all three go down. Green tags in and hits a pair of body slams, then a power slam on Flair. Flair does his Flair flip over the top and runs to a big boot from Mongo. Probably better than Hogan's. Then again, whose isn't? Green hits a lovely suplex, but Arn blindsides him and takes him out the back by the knee. Green is now the face in peril. Flair locks in the figure four. Arn gives Flair some assistance, so Savage goes after him. Outruns Benoit, who attacks Arn. Elizabeth and Woman return with Deborah, who's now wearing a dress rather than the sports gear she was wearing earlier. She's carrying a briefcase. Mongo opens up the briefcase, and there's a four horseman shirt inside of it and a lot of money. They speak for a while. She says, think about the money. Mongo grabs the briefcase and hits Green with the case, who's leaning through the ropes while he's in the, four, uh, the figure four. And the horsemen win the match. Mongo and Arn have a showy match. Benoit and Flair and Mongo attack Savage. We end the segment with the new horseman in the ring, but Michael puts on the horseman's shirt, and even he and Heenan are on the same page as they shake hands. Wayne? Another enjoyable match, I thought. Um, it's a shame that we had McMichael and Green together, because, excuse the pun, but 
they are both very green. But um, you know, I, I took a lot of enjoyment out of Green as uh, um, when when he was in the ring. Um, I'm not quite sure what the what the role is, defensive role or whatever it is. But when he was doing that, it's uh, you know, it was uh, the crowd was really into it, and, and and so was I as well. You know, thankfully we've got two pros in there in, in Arn Anderson and Fleur because you know they took a lot of bumping. Um, you know, there was there was quite a lot of um, back body drops from, uh, from from you know usual floor move set um, when he when he's on, when he's on the bumping end of them. Um, but yeah, another an, you know another enjoyable match, even even though it was uh, it was with Michael and Green on uh, on on one team. Um, the turn as well, you know, very very happy with it. I've, I've been a big fan of uh, uh, Michael from when he made his appearance in in WWF um, at the uh, just before WrestleMania, and I've been a big fan of his on on commentary as well. I, you know, I really do like his. Um, Maybe a bit weird saying it, but his um, his accent, his voice, um, just the way he talks, it, it, you know, it just really, you know, I just really buy into uh, buy into that and, and buy into him as uh, um, as an overall performer as well. And it's probably good that he's in it. He's in a team like you know, people probably say, is is it worth being in the Four Horsemen? You know, there's probably arguments against that, but you know, I think um, him being in a, in a team like that where he can learn and, and work with the likes of Arn Anderson, Rick Fleur and, and Chris Benoit and obviously they're going to hide all the negatives of him still being green and, and, and you know accentuating the in the positives of his performances Yeah it's worth saying while I remember I think the original plan before Brian Pillman ended up going to the WWF was going to be that Pillman and Benoit were going to break off and form the kind of junior horsemen to oppose the um, the kind of elder guys, if you like. I'm assuming Mongo would have still ended up with Flair. Anyway, Jeff, what do you think of all this? I think that, uh, no, I've loved this angle since its inception. I thought the execution from all angles with spending Macho's money to bring in Kevin Green and Mongo and Mongo's look and just Arn being such a great in-ring technician and, and Flair doing some of the best Flair work he's done since he returned, in my opinion. Um, I think when you look at the execution of a professional wrestling match from a spectacle standpoint when it comes to entertainment and drama. Not necessarily five-star Steamboat Flair or something in Karukin Hall, but just entertainment value. I, I was, I, I thought this was awesome. I think it was brilliant to see them book Bobby Heenan with Arn and Flair so you don't get that pro-horseman crowd right off the bat. I think that when you compare it to other celebrity athletes who come in to the world of professional wrestling, even a super athlete like Lawrence Taylor, and you know, now he's working with Bam Bigelow, not Arn Anderson and, and Ric Flair, but in my opinion, you know, this, this match here, you have, you know, two pro athletes who, while it's obviously well rehearsed, so nobody gets embarrassed, they had their spots, they didn't get lost, but this was a very impressive, you know, babyface heel tag match. The angle was executed perfectly. Savage and, and Heenan worked excellently off each other. When Benoit comes down and starts laying into to Savage, I'm going, I'm salivating, thinking we're going to get to see Benoit Savage. Like, think of that. That's intensity versus intensity. So altogether, I mean, the turn, the look McMichael has, I'd, I'd call Steve McMichael the enforcer's enforcer and have him work with Arn Anderson, okay? All around, I thought this was excellent stuff. Hot finish, great pacing. The great backdrops that these guys were taking for the for these really green football players, I mean, I just, I think my favorite match of the night was probably either Sting Regal or Benoit Sullivan, but I think for 
execution of a, of a pro wrestling spectacle from start to finish, this was aces. Yeah, um, this was about as good as it ever could have possibly got, I think, from... You know, we spoke about it last month, Jeff, in terms of this was the right combination in terms of you're going to have two football involved. Arn and Flair are the right two guys to have in. And it just worked. I mean, you, 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 Jeff, you mentioned the kind of match that's fun, perhaps, and exciting, better than it is technically good. I kind of go back to the match we and Wayne reviewed at Halloween Havoc with Flair, Arn, Pillman and Sting which is an absolute riot of a match. I think it tied up our match of the year last year, even though, you know, from a from an in-ring perspective, it wasn't necessarily much caught, but from a storyline, from a fun perspective, it was right up there. And this was very similar. You know, Kevin Green's clearly very limited, but credit to him, like, there was some set pieces, and you're right, there were set pieces that he executed perfectly well. He did the shoulder tackles quite nicely, the, the shoulder tackles to the knee, the body slams, the power slams... He looked good. Mongo is, you know, clearly a few stats beyond him, but clearly still quite limited. Um, but the stuff he did, he did quite well. And this match went a while, but there was enough going on where it just fell into place. There was enough going on. I think, Jeff, perhaps my biggest surprise was that they didn't really need Heenan and Savage. I know there was some stuff that was led into the match, but it wasn't like some of these matches where you get the guys that isn't particularly a wrestler, where you put people on the outside and the match is about the guy on the outside and ball that was in the ring. They cut to them when they needed to, but large swathes of these matches were just the four guys. Yeah, I think I think you have to have that security blanket just in case the fans turn. Or, or in case the match falls down. Yeah, I, well, I, I think the main thing is you bring Heenan out there because he's going to get heat, so they won't cheer Arn because Arn already got a pop tonight, right? When he when he yeah. back, uh, realigned, so you don't want to have the fans cheering Arn. Flair's kind of this elder statesman to a point where it's almost impossible for him to be a a true heel. Heenan can get the heel heat, so you don't want them to to turn on these outsiders. These are pro wrestling fans; they're not necessarily Carolina Panther or Pittsburgh Steeler or Chicago Bear fans. So they might boo the outsiders who aren't wrestlers, who may not be technically good. So who do you put in there with them? Randy Savage, one of the top baby faces of the last decade. So I think I think while they weren't necessarily needed for the match uh, and didn't necessarily contribute too much to the dynamic, they were there to uh, potentially offset some of the things that could have turned this match very sour. Wayne, any more thoughts? No, I mean, like, I think Jeff's just covered everything off on, on the Heenan Savage part, and, you know, I couldn't really add any more to it or, or disagree with any of it. Yeah, um, just a really fun match. Credit to all involved. Um, a really well executed turn. We didn't particularly talk about the turn that much in itself. Um, but a really nice execution of a turn. I don't know a ton of people would see him coming. Jeff, I, we, we discussed about this quite a bit last month in terms of the idea that they could build to Mongo versus Flair. Obviously, they're not going to do that now, or I presume not. I guess they could, you know, turn one of them again um, in a few months' time. But is, is this a better option than than what we kind of laid out last month, Jeff? I mean, I think if you if they want to do business one night in Chicago and have like, I, I think it would have been incumbent on having Flair be champion and and you know your resident legendary Chicago Bear Steve McMichael. I think maybe they they looked at McMichael and kind of saw the forest, uh, you know, in front of the trees. 
and saw that his limitations were what they were and it, it maybe wasn't worth investing that much. Uh, I think, I think the key to McMichael is the look and the charisma and what you can get out of that. So I don't know. I, as a horseman, I mean, I, I think it's a step down from Pillman. I'm a huge Pillman fan, but I think the aesthetic presentation is probably the, the biggest positive of him going into the horseman. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a left turn for Brian Pillman, and it's, you know, Brian Pillman pre-accident was certainly a fantastic worker, and even, you know, we're going to see in WWF, while he's still working that injury, there's there's enough going on. Um, Mongo is a completely different proposition, but not necessarily significantly worse. It changes the dynamic, but it's like, we've already got Flair, Arn, and Benoit. It's not like the missing ingredient for the four horsemen is work rate. I think I'd say that. Thanks, guys. Incredible turn of events, to say the very least. Well, many of you know that for the last several weeks, since uh, May 27th, as a matter of fact, we've had a number of, let's just call them interruptions, on Nitro. I know, I know, I know. And if you were with us last week, I pointed out that tonight, these guys want an answer. We're prepared right now to give them an answer. They know who they are. I know they're here. Come on out, guys. Wow. Look at this. Let's, go, let's everybody go to wall. Here at WCW. Let's do it. All right. I promise you an answer. That's what you're here for. But we've got some questions we've got to resolve before we do all that. Right off the bat, I want to let you know, right here, right now, I was in the WCW offices, debated, you want a match, you want a war, you want it inside of the ring, you're going to get it. Let's go into the trap, big man. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got some couple considerations here. Before... We go a whole lot further. I will tell you, it'll be at Bash at the Beach, July 7th, in Daytona. I'm free. I'm but before free. we go any further, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further, let's clear one thing up. Do you work for the WWF? No. How about it? No. Forget about the past, Chico. Let's worry about the future. We want to know who your three guys are. Is it, is it the, uh, Nacho Man? I don't think so. And what about, what about the immortal Huckster? You know, you tell billionaire Ted to break out the money and get anybody he can because the big man and the medium-sized man and our surprise buddy are gonna carve them I want to ask you a question right now. He's had his say. Who are they, man? Who are they? Come I can't on. tell you. I'll tell you tomorrow night on night show. That's the deal. You can't tell us? You don't jack us around? Don't jack us around? Oh, for Whoa! What are they doing? Security! Get up there right now. Get security up there. Unbelievable. Please. Please get it. Unbelievable. This is sick. Yeah. Tony, I got it. They I'd, should they, hold on. Where'd he at? He's right down below us here. 
Oh, my God. We're going to need some medical attention right now. Yes. Right now, ladies and gentlemen. Big boys, they just left the building. Hey, get these guys up here. We join Eric Bischoff on the stage. Bischoff says they're prepared to give him an answer. Outcome Hall and Nash. Hall, for the sake of seeing the same might as Nash, is wearing massive lifts in his boots. And Hall is a good few inches shorter than Nash. And they basically worked as though they were the same height. But he might as well have been wearing heels. Like these boots. Uh, it didn't help wearing like light double denim. The double denim's back. Um, and then these like black workers boots with big lifts. That stuck out to me. Anyway, Bischoff says if they want a match, if they want a war, they're going to get it. Bischoff, <clears throat> he probably didn't have a crocky throat like I did. He says it'll be at Bash at the Beach. Hall then says, I'm free, I'm free. I quite like that. Bischoff then says, I want to clear something up. Do you work for the WWF? Nash says no. Then takes the mic to Hall. Hall shakes his head and then says no. Hall wants to know who they are. Who are we going to face at the next show? Bischoff says he can't tell them. Hall doesn't like that answer. He punches him. Nash then picks him up in a powerbomb position. Jack knights him off the stage through a table adjacent. That looked fantastic. But a clearly gimmick table, let's say that. But a really, really good spot. Hall grabs the mic and says, The big boys have left the building. Shivoni goes down there to check on Bischoff so we get a nice, passionate promo from Dusty. Wayne, talk us through this. Oh, another another top performance from these two in in, in my eyes. Um again, the just the, the, the sheer work that they did with Bischoff and uh, uh and obviously the promo work as well with uh, with Hall. I don't know his comment was a bit tongue in cheek. I don't know whether he was, you know, one of the reasons why he left or not, but he was saying, you know, you've got the big man and then you've got the medium sized man talking about himself, which, uh, as I said, I don't know whether it was tongue in cheek or not, but again, just hats off to these guys because, uh, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've really turned this, um, this promotion, uh, on its head really with, uh, um, with, with just obviously the performances they're putting out. Jeff. Yeah, it was a, a really cool set piece. Um, you know, the, the, the jackknife was over. Um, I thought the presentation again of, of Hall and Nash as these outside, outside, you know, entities is pretty cool. Um, my only one thing, and this is, this is kind of one of the only in wrestling type deals. It's kind of like if the, if the bad guys are beating up the baby face in the ring, don't have your music hit before you run out to save me. Now here in this situation, Eric Bischoff, who's the who Tony Schiavone responds as the uh, lead commentator for Nitro and executive producer, blah blah, he gets power bombed through a through a set piece, and no one from the back goes out to save him. And that was one of those things that I kept kind of thinking, like, I think they are trying to edge a bit too close to pro wrestling, and and they're doing a really good job at at kind of teetering on that reality shoot type deal. But sometimes it just comes across as a little. Hokey and them coming. I, I like to see them come out in the crowd more. I like to see it a little more thinly veiled. Maybe the lawsuit prohibits that, but uh, overall, really excellent. But just little little things like that kind of always are hiccups to me. I'm jumping ahead, Jeff, but given what we're going to discuss from Nitro about eight days later, would it be fair to say they got that vibe right on that bit? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we'll absolutely. come we'll come to that in a bit. But yeah, I, I know what you mean in the. If you're trying to present this as a shoot, not the, you know, 
we spoke a lot about shoots on this month's ECW volume, so I better, I better rephrase that. If you're trying to present this as real life, you're trying to present this as unscripted. If, if, if Scott Hall walks out unannounced, if he really is an invading force, where's security? If, if Scott Hall and, and Kevin Nash are getting a bit physical with Eric Bischoff, given that they've already got physical with him before, why aren't there people around just to make sure something doesn't go down? And the minute that Nash puts uh, Bischoff in the position for the powerbomb, they wouldn't have time to get out there in terms and stop it. But why weren't there just hordes of guys steaming out from all possible positions the minute Nash puts Bischoff in the powerbomb? Because that's where it ceases to become ceases to be an angle and starts to be, you know, an actual real-life thing. You make a good point, Jeff. We'll come on to the bit with Nitro when we get there. That all being said, and that's a fair criticism, this was still epic. And, and Jeff, I'm not saying you, didn't, you, you weren't saying it was very good, but this was still excellent in terms of the intensity was there. Uh, we spoke about it earlier. Hall is... I love this new attitude of Hall, this just get in the face of Eric Bischoff. He's got a bit more of an edge to him. It feels, you know, they're t- WC, WWF are talking about Scott Hall portraying Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon was never like this. There was never this level to Razor Ramon. Every time Razor Ramon got close to this, he cut back into the Scarface character. This is, this is Scott Hall. Um, and Diesel kind of sort of playing second fiddle, kind of like, not that they're both big and intimidating, but the guy behind that doesn't say as much, which plays to their strengths. Two massive thumbs up. And Wayne, you can gimmick a table as much as you like. That was not a massive target area. And fair play for one, for Nash for getting him up there and out there. And two, for Bischoff for agreeing to take an incredible bump. Yeah, you can probably see why uh, they changed the plans of uh, of having Dusty to do it. Would have need a much bigger table if it yes. had been Dusty, I think. Um, one of the Spanish commentators um, rolled his ankle because apparently they had more than one gimmick table around just in case. I don't know why in case, actually. In case the first one wasn't there. They had more than one made up by the stage. And one of the Spanish announcers uh, did, did uh, injured his leg walking on one of the gimmick tables. So there we go. Not just not just one of the Spanish announcers, former WWF WWF World Champion Pedro Morales. Sorry, yes, if I'm not mistaken. I've forgotten oh. his I've forgotten his name, which is why yeah. I was trying to skirt over that bit. But well, thank I, you. I think this is a pro wrestling podcast, not a sports entertainment podcast, Bob. So we got to right. we got to right. remember our history. Thank you. That's why you're here, Jeff. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you for that. But yeah, that the Jess, you know. Jeff makes some good points aside about the, the realism point. We're going to get to an angle in about eight days' time that will address that. We move on to the main event. It's Lex Luger versus the Giant with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Heavyweight title. Luger comes out and immediately checks on Bischoff, who's being attended to, finally. Luger runs straight into a big boot. Luger rallies and knocks Giant off of the top. Giant picks Luger up and presses him under the top rope. Luger locks in a long sleeper hold. Jimmy Hart lines up a shot with his megaphone. Sting comes out and runs Hart up the R-way. Giant hands Luger upside down on the top rope. He then puts him on his shoulders for a backbreaker and just tosses him to the mat. There is a long period of selling which the crowd are dead for. Luger rallies. In my notes, I've got Sting is better at this bit. Luger clips Giant down on one knee. The crowd wake up a bit. 
Giant charges at Luger in the corner and gets caught laying across the top rope. Luger attempts to pick up uh, Giant in the torture rack from that position with the top rope. The crowd builds in intensity, but Luger collapses under the weight. Giant picks Luger up, hits a joke slam, and gets the clean win. Jeff, they couldn't follow that Flair Anderson match or that angle, could they? No, they couldn't. And I think in my notes I have, you should have ended the, the pay-per-view with either the hot tag match or that hot angle and say, you know, have it end with Bischoff going to the table and the ambulance men attending to him. I think that would have been a perfect way. I've got a better idea. Let's hear it. End it, well, (laughs) end it with the Bischoff, Hall and Nash angle and don't do the match. Yeah, that could work. If you want to treat Bischoff getting powerbombed through the stage... As a big moment, end the show. You know, I I, I thought that, and, and, and then you don't have to deliver this match. And, you, and, and from a storyline standpoint, you've got perfectly good, you know, perfectly good reason not for doing it. And you don't is, ask Luger and Giant to follow it. Sorry, Jeff, carry on. Well, the problem you have there is you've advertised this as your main event. But um, they, they give it enough. They give it enough for free on. Well, they give it away for free enough times on uh, Nitro, so they could only do it again the night after. Yeah, that would make sense. I, yeah, I could see that. I think, I think, I, I actually, I completely agree with that sentiment. Again, it, it would totally hammer down that realism notion. I just think if you, if you advertise for four weeks Luger versus Giant, I think, and obviously WCW hasn't necessarily done this all the time, but I think they had to deliver the match in the ring. So that would be, that would be the only thing I could see them hindering them from doing that. But this match died a, 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 a relatively, you know, moderate, uh, degree because of its positioning on the card yeah Yeah. let's be clear it was a bad match regardless of what came before it but it you know it just was in the wrong spot i you know maybe maybe if you're thinking well shit we've advertised the main event for a local crowd maybe do it as a dark match i'd have just tried it like i'd have just gone look this is the angle to go for you know it's not like we're three matches into the show or anything like that we're giving people a, a lot of stuff if you want to present the Bischoff thing as being that out of the ordinary, don't carry on with the show. Wayne, what do you think of uh, well, that point first up? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think about it before, but with what you just said, uh, makes absolute sense to me. You know, just if you want that realism, that's how you end it. You end the pay-per-view like that. Um, security coming out. I mean, Shavoni come off commentary as well, didn't he, when, uh, when, when, when all that happened. It was just dusty on his own. And, and that felt real as well, but like you said... End it there, and uh, and you know I can't see that many people being uh, being unhappy about it because I said we we may have seen this match before, and the chances are we'll probably see it again on Nitro. So you know we're not going to be missing that much. You know what? If if people want to phone up WCW and complain after that, I the the one person that does that, I will fork out of my own pocket to pay for <laughs> the refund. Wayne, thoughts on the match? Well. Watching all WCW's uh, pay-per-views in the past, I've seen worse main events. Um, but it's just a shame that what I thought was was an excellent pay-per-view, you know, it just had to end with with this match. It was, you know, it was a real shame. And you know, I know we've just had the discussion about where it should have ended. But my thought process beforehand was that maybe we should have ended with the tag match that we saw before because uh, it was, um, you know, sending everyone happy. Yes, there was a turn at the end. But, you know, you ended with a really, really fun, enjoyable match. Jeff, thoughts on the match, quickly? I, how is it that Sting versus Giant with Luger outside last month, Luger's the most over guy, and a month later, this match in which Luger's built up to challenge the world champion 
is just a cold fish. I mean, it was... It was to, to be fair, that was the main event of like the polar opposite show to this. Yeah, but you, yeah, but you're looking at like you're looking at we we talked last month about how Luger was doing some of his best work, and he comes in here, and it's just I don't know if it's the giant, I don't know if it's the presentation. This had this kind of mid '80s Hogan versus a monster match kind of feel to it. I just with Sting was outside running interference for Luger. It just everything together just it just. It just kind of plotted, and he, and I think the failure of this match might have been the crowd might have been completely gassed by this point because there was a lot more interesting stuff that got them out of their seats. And when Luger went for that torture rack spot in the corner, I don't think the fans accepted that as the finish because I think I think he just kind of well tortured. he didn't get him up. I mean the torture rack for the times we've seen the torture rack really explode the crowd is when they're in it. And he didn't get him up. That may not have helped. Yeah, he just kind of wilted, and then there was, the you know, the choke slam and the pin. And I, I, I just, I, I think it just kind of felt abrupt. He pancaked. Um, I think maybe if you give the fans that second of Giant in the torture rack, then Luger gives out, and then you go to the finish, that's fine. I don't know. I think I think the air had been let out of the building way before this match even started. So it's, it's again, as as you said, it's really hard to criticize it. Uh, it, it is what it is. It wasn't a bad match. There have certainly been worse WCW main events. Yes, I, I would certainly agree with that. I, I just think that there's a lot of other things going on right now, planning two or three months ahead, bearing in mind who's going to turn next month. We don't know. Or who's going to join. We don't know. If they get back, like, if they get back to Luger and Giant, say in September, that's the spot to do the torture rack spot. Like, like, I would almost say it's worth this if the pop for when Luger gets giant in the torch rack eventually is bigger. I would almost say. But that's how we will end this show review. Wayne, your overall thoughts on the show at a score ending out of 10? Yeah, well, if it's not come across well enough, then I've done a bad job of selling this pay-per-view, but I've, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Definitely the best pay-per-view by far, in my opinion. Um, you know, really good uh, storyline progression, excellent matches, um, different styles of matches, great variety, uh, a lot of fun, and I'm, uh, I'm going to give it a, a, a big eight. Jeff? Yeah, I, I really dug the Steiner tag match. I dug Mysterio Malenko. I, I thought it could have been better. Uh, I really enjoyed both the uh, Regal match. I thought Regal's the MVP of the show. Benoit and Sullivan had an awesome brawl. The NFL versus WCW Horseman tag match was great. Uh, the angle for the, the uh, National Hall and Bischoff was awesome. I'm going to be even more generous. I'll say probably the best pay-per-view I'd seen in at least a year. Um, I don't know if it's as good as the spring stampede, the spring stampede of, the, of the year prior or two years prior, but I'd say uh, 9 out of 10. I'll split the difference. I'll say eight and a half. Um, yeah, this might, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this is the, the, the highest combined rate we've given a show for, yeah, a couple of years. It would have been Spring Stampede, I think. Um, I, the, the actual in, if you're looking for an in-ring show in terms of in-ring action, Starcade from last year may be fractionally better than this. Uh, yeah, it might be. There, there's, there's enough really good undercard matches on that. Um, but one thing Starcade had, which this doesn't, is that Starcade was Japan versus USA, or Japan versus WCW, including Germany, Mexico, Canada, etc. 
so that show fell down because half the guys in the matches were Japanese and the crowd weren't reacting to them. And then you had up and down guys representing WCW, all of that. Spring Stampede 1994, I think, is the best wrestling show, pure wrestling, we've reviewed since I started doing this show. Flair and Steamboat's great. Vader and Boss is a match I love. There's that great Nasty Boys brawl. Uh, there's a match between, I think, Dustin Rhodes and Bunkhouse Buck, which is really good. And there's a few other things on that show that are excellent. I think as a wrestling show, this falls fractionally below that. But this stands above it in the sense that they tried to exit... Well, I think Anderson... Uh, sorry, I think Taskmaster and Benoit would have stood on that show by any stretch. This falls up for two reasons. One, we had a tag match between Ric Flair, Arn Anderson and two footballers, which was as good as you possibly could have expected it to. And where it wasn't great in terms of in-ring action was great in terms of entertainment value. And we had three angles. They, they went for it in this show. Three angles. Pulled them all off. Um, the Benoit Anderson reunite was great. The crowd popped for that. The stuff with uh, Mongo turning on, um, turning on green and going with the horseman. I think a lot of people wouldn't have been expecting it. And it was a very well executed angle. And the stuff with Bischoff, Hall and Nash, there might be the odd thing we can pick in holes in it. But this is like way above anything we've seen. Eight and a half out of ten. Definitely watch this show. If you've ever been inclined to watch any of the other shows on the base of reviews, this should go right to the top of the list or right very close to it. Um, and yeah, we will come back from the TV review and we've got some more nor more hash hash hall and nash stuff to come nitro on june the 17th starts an extended talking intro with tony Schiavone and larry zabisco when you've got two hours to you can afford to slow down the pace Shivoni says wcw are under war and war has been accepted Rick Steiner defeats Stevie Ray in a short but physical opener. Immediately after the match, Booker T comes out and hits a big sidekick. Ray follows that with a powerbomb. Booker sets for the Harlem hangover. Scott runs out and all he has time to do is slide in the ring and protect his brother as he gets hit. Debutant Joe Gomez beats Disco Inferno in something that's presented as a shock, at least with a crucifix roll-up pin. Disco is still happy mind. His hair is in place. We get an interview with Flair, Woman, Elizabeth and Deborah. Deborah says she did it for the money. Flair says he's standing in his ground tonight. Macho, tonight you're mine. We get Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit versus the American Males. The horsemen are popular here. Benoit drops Riggs off on the top rope with a reverse suplex and that's enough for a clean win. We get a real nice post-match promo from Arn who says he and Sullivan had a business deal but that went south. There's only room for four horsemen. Jimmy Hart hits John Tenter with a megaphone during his match with Big Bubba. Tenter no-sells it, hits Hart with an atomic drop, then hits a power slam on Bubba before pinning him with his foot on the ropes. Post-match, Bubba hits Tenter with a loaded sock. A couple of those shots seem to be real close to Tenter's eye. I think that, that was the idea, but they look really good. Uh, the sock, it turns out, was full of coins. Savage cuts a promo backstage ahead of his match with Flair. He says he's going to be calculated tonight. Savage's entrance coincides with the start of the second hour. Savage chases Heenan away from the announcer's position. Heenan gets chased into the ring and then bolts with some athleticism, it should be said, over the top rope. Flair cuts a pre-match promo saying Savage is experiencing the pain of agony, defeat and divorce. Savage and Flair have a wild brawl around ringside. Savage starts trying to force feed Flair with food from the banquet area. 
that area even. Flair nails Sarge with an illegal object, but after stalling, Flair kicks out. The ref takes a bump, Sarge hits the top rope elbow, and then a second despite the in-ring protest from all three women. Both Benoit and Arn run out and get dispatched by Savage, but Steve McMichael runs out and hits Savage with a briefcase full of Savage's money, and Flair pins Savage. We get promos from Taskmaster and the Giant, along with a pre-match promo from Rey Mysterio ahead of his match with Dean Malenko. This match gets really good in the final few minutes. The crowd are really into Mysterio's offence. Heenan, describing Mysterio, says, He's so fast that when he turns off the light switch, it's he's in bed before it goes dark. Malenko wins it with a reverse DDT to retain the title. The main event is the Giant versus Scott Steiner. Giant basically beats the piss out of Scott. Bobby Heenan disguised Scott and Rick as, quote, both uglier than the other. Steiner gains some control, crotching Giant as he climbs back into the ring. Scott hits a great side suplex on Giant. The only reason he didn't win the match was that he was too busy celebrating. That was a really good spot, by the way. Scott smacks Giant with a wooden chair. He no-sells it and chokeslams Scott for the pin. The Glacier promos are still coming, but they are promising you'll be here next month at least. They end the show with a draw for the main event at Bash at the Beach. They selected the six top men in WCW based off a win-loss record and some other metrics. Six names in the pot are Hulk Hogan, Giant, Ric Flair, Sting, Lex Luger and Randy Savage. And the three quote-unquote drawn, Gene just announced them, uh, for the main event at Bash at the Beach are Lex Luger, Macho Man, Randy Savage and Sting. Tony Schiavone opens up June the 24th Nitro by saying Eric Bischoff is still recovering. We get a promo from Savage, Sting and Luger, all decked out in face paint. Sting says they keep saying they want three guys and yet you only bring two? What's all that about? Luger then nearly says the WWF by accident. The two get interrupted by both the Steiners and Harlem Heat. That sets up the main event for later in the show. Show opens with the Blue Bloods versus the Public Enemy. Regal mocks, mocks Rocco Rocks dancing and gets a drop kick for his troubles. This was not a good match, it should be said. Johnny Grunt hits Dave Taylor over the head with his cast and picks up the win. The crowd popped far too much for such a cheap finish. Taskmaster takes on Jobber, Kip Aby, and they go high into the arena. Taskmaster tries to take him into the women's toilets, but Doug Dillon just stops it. This match ends by disqualification. We get a shouty evening pro from Taskmaster post-match, goading Benoit and Arn Anderson. Disco Inferno walks out with a gold copy of his CD during a match between Dean Malenko and Bobby Walker. Disco's music starts playing while the match is going on. Walker knocks Disco off the top rope and Malenko hits a bridging belly-to-belly for the win. We get a post-match confrontation between Malenko and Inferno. They'll face off and bash at the beach. Eddie Guerrero defeats the Barbarian after a physical match. Guerrero says he wants a shot for the US title. Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit defeat the Rock and Roll Express after Mongo interfered. After the match, Mongo's opponent's opponent at Bash at the Beach, Joe Gomez, ran out, but he got attacked. Savage and Kevin Green run out and run them off. The fans are chanting, we want Flair. We're in Charlotte, after all. Um, Flair does not wrestle on this show, although he and Savage did end up working the dark match afterwards. Presumably, they thought, maybe not a great idea to have Flair get a big positive face reaction on our TV. Alex Wright and Diamond Dallas Page have a nice short match. Wright gets in a lot of offence, but Page wins it with a diamond cutter. Kevin Green has a promo on the R-way, and he says he's going to remember Mongo's backstabbing, and after the season has concluded, he will go on a Mongo hunt. Green accompanies Randy Savage out to the ring for his match with VK Wall Street. 
Sarge gets less than a lukewarm reaction in Charlotte. No surprise there. We get a large We Want Flair chant, early doors. A nothing match, although it takes a while. Sarge wins with a top rope elbow drop. The main event is Harlem Heat versus the Steiners versus Luger and Sting in a triangle match for the WCW Tag Titles. The match is nothing of anything until Hall and Nash come out from the crowd carrying baseball bats. It's really heated up. Hall takes a couple of swings at the ring steps and security storm the ring. With Nash and Hall stood prime on the outside, Harlem Heat roll, one of the members of Harlem Heat roll up Lex Luger uh, and the tag titles change hands. Show ends with security with guns, holding guns in the ring. They show a replay of Luger being rolled up. That segment, in all honesty, was a fantastic way to end the month. Jesus. Well, i tell you, it wasn't too long after that that WCW entered the call to action. As a matter of fact, those two gentlemen plus a surprise man will meet three gentlemen at the bash at the beach only on pay-per-view. And those gentlemen now standing by with me and Gene Oakley. All right, again, Tony Schiavone, I thank you. I must say that very graphic footage has got to stimulate these men because we are inside two weeks. Lex Luger Sting and the Macho Man Randy Savage to meet these two outsiders. And we're going to find out the evening of the Bash at the Beach who their third man will be. Just like Charlotte, North Carolina's players country, WCW is our country, yeah. yeah. United by the face pain of the stinger, yeah. We are focused in different directions, that's true. Mongo McNichol, yeah. You and Ric Flair, we got the deal, we know the deal. Divide and conquer is what we're going to do, right? You Thank you very much, Alright, Lex Luger Sting, gentlemen, let's go back, let's go back recently on this very television program sting from the outset when these when these men came in here you took exception to them you knew what they were here for they were here to disrupt and i want to take a look because it got to the point where you couldn't take anymore there's no question mean gene i don't mind somebody that wants to walk into wcw or anywhere in the entire world and make a statement but the bottom line is, a grown man does not come and make a statement, not to mention a physical statement, to a commentator. Why not try to pick on a wrestler? You want three guys, that's all I hear every single week, yet you only produce two. What is the deal? The macho man is frothing at the mouth, and so is the package, and so am I. Lex Luger. We're unified as a team. WWCW stands tall. They stand strong. They say it's where the big boys play. These guys are going to find out what a war is all about. Because we're all in paint. We're unified as a unit. Because we are the very best. Isn't that right, Stinger? Yes, the very best. This is definitely where the big boys play. And you guess know, what? Lex hey, 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 wait a minute now, Scott We've been a long time. And if you need us to watch your back, we'll be there. But that's later on down the line. Tonight, the belt's on the line, and you better worry about us. All right, Rick Steiner, your thoughts? Hey, I can care less about the belt. What do you oh, guys want? Wait a minute, hold on. Right, 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 we got to go like this here. Me and my brother, we got to go to settle with this punk right here from Las Vegas, Nevada, when I got cold cut with a roll of silver dollars and you, Sting. Yeah, you saw the whole thing, and as far as I'm concerned, you like two peas in a pot. And this sucker right here, and this sucker. Hey, 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 hey,
So, the uh, previous side of that interlude with the TV reports and the promos, we discussed the Hall and Nash segment. And one thing Jeff said, and, and not without justification, was there are certain things you're not doing in this that, or sorry, I'm paraphrasing Jeff here. Sorry if I'm taking your quotes out of context, Jeff. There are certain things you're not doing here that you would be doing if this is the kind of angle you're trying to portray. I think on June the 24th, they answered a lot of those questions with what I would say in the three years that I've been doing this. And while the podcast started in August, everything else technically started a couple of months before that. In the three years I've been doing this project, I would say the strongest two minutes of television I have seen was the final couple of minutes on the June 24th Nitro, when during the main event between Sting and Lex Luger, the Steiner Brothers and Harlem Heat, a three-way triangle match for the WCW Tag Team titles, they cut to the crowd and down from the stairwell came Kevin Nash and Scott Hall through the crowd, no security, carrying baseball bats. Who the hell cleared that? I don't know. But I'm guessing to an extent it's like, well, if a fan lays a hand on me, I got a baseball bat. Climb over the guardrail. Hall starts smashing up the steps. Um, Harlem Heat in amongst the chaos, because there's, there's security and police that storm the ring at this point. Harlem Heat in amongst the chaos. Roll up uh, one of the Steiners. Win the match. They scarf with the title belts. Hall and Nash are stood in the aisle way, while police stand in the ring, clutching firearms. And that's how we go off the air. Wayne, what do you think of all of that? Uh, again, fantastic. Um, Jeff um, made point before, which which obviously we just made reference to, is you know sometimes it can come across a bit hawky when when it doesn't seem like it's um, like it's it's that real. They turn this around um, really well. You know, obviously coming in with the baseball bats, um, the police and security storm in the ring um, like that, and as you said, clutching firearms. It just all seemed, um, it's like said, real. Well, that was it. And, and, and thankfully that is the message of, that's the story that they're trying to, trying to tell. The, you know, we said, we say the word shoot a lot. That's what they're obviously trying to do. They're trying to come across as it's all a shoot. And, um, and, and they're, and they're telling a really good story with it as well and, and making it believable at the same time. Jeff? Well. I don't want to be the dissenter in the room. I was going to say, if anyone's going to pick a hole in this segment, it's going to be you. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's, I thought the presentation was awesome. It's exactly how I thought they should have presented at, at, at the Great American Bash. We're having it look a lot more um, impromptu. Here's my only issue. Uh, two guys from WWF come down, and they are immediately treated like the most violent threats to humanity we will ever see. I think the the one delicate balance this this angle and this program is going to have to balance outside of making sure that they don't cross any legal thresholds with Vince McMahon's copyrights and intellectual properties because because we've got to protect Kevin Nash's goatee. That's you'll hear about oh, yeah. all about that in volume one. But yeah, well, well, Bob, what else does Nash really have? For? Um, a glove. He's, he can do the pump. He can do the power bomb, and he's got a goatee. I mean. <laughs> Whatever he's getting paid, God bless him, because Scott Hall was the steal in this situation. Sorry, but, Jeff, I cut you off completely midpoint there. If you can find it, carry on. Oh, no, I, I, I found it, polished it up, and I'm ready to roll with it All again. Right. Here's my issue. Two guys from WWF come down, and they are treated like killers. And it's going to be very sensitive to make sure you don't make the WWF stars look like the real stars. 
You have to keep in mind that Sting and Flair and Luger and I, Jack- I, I don't know. Sorry, Jack. I, keep going off. I don't know. Like Hulk Hogan's going to get into this angle soon. If 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 anyone's going to hold down these WWF stars, I, it's I the Hulkster. Think, I think you want to make everyone remember that you're paying to watch WCW, and that I think there should be a balance of not making an entire roster look scared or look too weak. They can lose, they can be beaten up by baseball bats, but I think this two against five or, or, or whatever the situation is going to be, I think it, it maybe makes the WWF guys look too strong. And unlike Hogan, who jumped to WCW, there's this, they're the outsiders, maybe Vince sent them. And if you present it the wrong way, you're maybe saying your your competition has the superior wrestlers. And I just, I think it might be something to balance and keep in the back of their minds while, while booking this to make sure Nash and Hall just don't run roughshod over everybody. Keep it at the back of their mind, yes. I don't think they're there yet. Um, in the sense that it's, you know, Harlem Heat ran away, but, you know, the, the, there are the heels and faces mixed up in the tag division. I think they're kind of the heels. They just won the tag belts. They scarpered. I think if I were them and they were trying to play the heels, I might have run into the crowd rather than across the aisleway where Hall and Nash were standing. I'll give you that. But it's not like the Steiners or Luger and Sting ran off. They stood their ground in the ring. And, and you know, I don't think it's the most dishonorable thing where two guys with baseball bats are on the outside that you don't go after them because that wanders into dumb babyface territory. And I hate that. But they stood their ground and they didn't run off. They just waited for the situation. And the police ran into the ring. At that point, we had a standoff. And that was it. I, Jeff, I, I know what you mean, but I don't think in this situation they're there yet. Give it another few weeks, see what happens at Bash at the Beach, give it another few weeks, they might be there. But at the moment, I thought the balance in that angle was perfect. Yeah, I think, I think 95% of the presentation was awesome. I just think there's a, there's a potential when you're all of a sudden treating these outsiders like the real stars, it kind of, it, I, I just think there's there's a, perspe- a perception that really should be, they should watch out for. Maybe it should be the better phrasing. I'd agree, but I think we spend so much time having a go at promotions for not going far enough. The uh, the time when a promotion threatens to go too far, unless we not forget, they're not actually invading forces. They are WCW contracted performers. If you get Kevin Nash and Scott Hall over as your two biggest guys, even if they're two big big guys from the WWF, that's been their entire idea for the last two years. They've been getting over on Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. That's been their MO. If I'm WCW, like I don't really care. Like if I can use an angle like this to make Scott Hall and Kevin Nash the two biggest guys in the company, above Hogan, above Sting, above Savage, above Flair, above Giant, above Luger, above all the other guys. If if I end up going a bit too hard on my own roster and end up creating two megastars as a result, I'd take that. I don't know about you. I just I I I let's I'll agree to disagree with you on that one. Okay. Let's be clear when we say Hulk Hogan is gonna be involved in this angle in about two months' time, if not next month. If Hulk Hogan comes in and he ends up facing these two, we don't have to worry in any way, shape or form about these two getting over above their station. Hulk Hogan will put pay to that. Wayne, any input on any of that discussion? 
no input at all. Uh, just real winners were uh, were Harlem Heat, and uh, and that's that. Yeah, well, and, and the fans, I suppose. Well, yeah, I suppose. But yeah, I, and like. I wouldn't say I got goosebumps, but that was a, it was a the shot where they've got a camera looking up the kind of the um, the flat I don't know what you call it kind of looking up where the National Hall are running down down the steps and on the floor section towards the guardrail. That was like a oh shit something's going down here moment, and I don't get that very often watching pro wrestling. And occasionally when you do, and I'm not saying I believe it to be real or believe it to be a shoot, but when you can make me up and go oh this is different from the norm. This doesn't feel like a pro wrestling angle. And I'm not saying you have to say that and and mean it's a shoot. I'm saying if you can say that and mean this is out of the ordinary and when you say that that's a rarity I thought they nailed this I think Jeff's got some fair enough concerns but I don't think they're there yet uh, you know as I say I wouldn't be that worried about you know if if we get to the angle and I've, I've undercut Sting and Lex Luger a little bit if I've got Scott Hall and Kevin Nash over as the two biggest guys in the company I'll back myself to rebuild Sting. You know what I mean? Like I'll 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 work that out. I'd rather be there than be in a position where I undercut the two invading guys for the stake of Sting. Who let me let's let's be said. I like Sting a lot. We'll come on to him in a sec about whether whether he should be the guy being the third man. Sting's not been a volcanic babyface for a while. He's probably the biggest babyface they've got along with Luger. But he's not this Ric Flair, this Hulk Hogan. He's not at that level. Let's move on to the final discussion point of the month. We won't discuss it for long. One, because for reasons I'll discuss in a minute, this taping has gone forever. Um, but also in the sense that because the pay-per-view is next weekend, a lot of people are going to have already seen it by the time they listen to this. So we'll just, we'll just deal with it quickly at the end. Um, it's going to be Lex Luger, Randy Savage and Sting versus Kevin Nash, Scott Hall and question mark. Jeff, we heard Mabel, we've heard Jeff Jarrett, we've heard Bret Hart, we've heard Hulk Hogan, we've heard Sting, we've heard potentially Randy Savage or Luger or Sting. Uh, I bundled Giant in there just because I'm guessing, you know, if it's not going to be an outsider guy, it's got to be one of the big names in WCW. Where's your money? Sting. I agree. Because I think he's the... Flair's gone to WWF. And Luger's gone to WWF, and the Steiners have gone to WWF, and Savage is, is Mr. WWF, and Hogan's Mr. WWF, and Sting's the WCW franchise guy. And I think the heat and the character rejuvenation is with Sting. And I think the three of those guys are younger and cooler than, say, a Lex Luger, who isn't necessarily the most fresh guy on the roster, even though he's been, been hitting out of the park lately. Why? Either one of those guys on on the other team. They're the three hottest faces in in the company at the minute, so it's got to be one of them. But yeah, my money is on Sting, and for the real reason that if you look back at that July D twenty fourth angle when they're in, you have a look at the Steiners. Obviously, we know what happened with Alamee, but the Steiners and Lex Luger and security are all at the front, right at the back of the ring in the corner. Sting on his own. He's changed his look. And, and you've got that aspect as well. And like Jeff says, is the, is the franchise of WCW. So if, if there's going to be any real surprise, well, you could look at it as that it wouldn't be a surprise if it's Sting because we're calling it out now. But if it's going to be a real surprise, then it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to sit better with Sting. Sting. Oh yeah, the real surprise is Bret Hart, but I, I say that's the real surprise and that I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen. Um, although, 
you know, if they've managed to keep that quiet, fair fucks. But if we're going to talk about a 90-day non-compete, Bret Hart last competed on a WWF European tour in early April, 90 days beyond that, around the first week in July. I don't know. I think we'd have heard about it by now, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, if we're looking at options, um, there was the promo, I think that's right they concluded the 17th show with the announcement of the three names so they opened up the 24th with a promo or one of the opening segments with a promo backstage between luger sting and savage all wearing face paint the same kind of face paint which to me was a giveaway one of them was turning a bit of bickering and a bit of intensity which which can be filed on the baby face but i also thought it could be filed under something's brewing um and you know, we, yeah, we're talking about, there's, there's three very different options. You're talking about Savage, who's Mr. WWF, Luger, who's been in both, and, and Sting, who's been in WCW. I look at all three and I go, Savage would be an interesting one. And Savage is a bit like Hogan, in the sense that it would make a lot of sense if one of those two guys was the third man, in the sense that we're talking about, a, and it, you're trying to present an invading faction from the WWF. The one negative against Sting, that doesn't seem right. Sting is a WCW guy. Now, there's a story you can tell. It'll work. It'll be fine. Sting defecting. I'm happy with that. But if we're going to talk about a logical standpoint, if it's going to be guys invading from the WWF, if you want to treat people and tell people and try and trick them into thinking this is an invasion, the invasion makes sense from one of the guys that was already there. Luger kind of fits that bill, but there's a lot of guys that still see him as a WCW guy. And the fact Luger's really over right now. Don't mess with that. Um, Savage is an interesting shout. He's doing a lot with Flair. I think he's doing such good work with Flair, I'd be reluctant. Because it feels like a bit of a left turn. And it also... Actually, now that would make sense. I'm going to say you'd end up putting them against a babyface Flair, but I think that's fine. Um, it, Flair would be the oddest choice of the ball. Flair actually would be a disaster, I think. Not that he couldn't play it, but you're, you know, Flair is Mr. WCW. Two WWF guys. People want to cheer Flair. They're going to want to boo the other guys. That wouldn't work at all. Hogan's an interesting shout. I don't think Hulk Hogan's going to want to turn heel. We saw it last year. Hogan tried it. He got booed. Not that he needs much excuse to these days. They bottled it. That'll be a left turn. Whether they're going to do it or not, I don't think so. I think Sting's just the right guy. I think it's the right time for him. He's been a perennial babyface in WCW. He's been a perennial babyface in WCW since we started this show. I just think that the stars are aligning. You put Sting with with Hall and with Nash, you've got three guys that are all big names. Sting becomes a volcanic heel if he aligns with the invading force. And then you open up how many programs? You open up Sting against Flair, Sting as a heel, Flair as the honourable babyface fighting for WCW. I like that. We open up we, we open up the option of Sting against Luger with Sting as the heel and Luger as the number one babyface. I love that because Luger like it would make a lot more sense the other way around, but Luger as the as the betrayed heel or the betrayed babyface, sorry, would make so much sense. Heel Sting against Hulk Hogan. They might cheer Hogan with that. They might cheer Hogan with that. They probably won't, but they might. 
and you look up all the other options. A heel Sting against a babyface giant. Jeff, you spoke before about giant being a babyface. That needs to happen at some point. All of these options get unlocked. And they get unlocked with Savage turning. They get unlocked with Hogan turning. But I'm far more intrigued by Sting. And I I think the best angle, you said, you know, maybe it doesn't make the most sense, Sting turning. I think, I think it's a very simple story. Sting's the guy that was consistent and loyal to WCW when everybody else left. And here he is being passed over time and time again by Hogan and Savage and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? All he hears about is how when you go to New York, you make money. So why don't I join those guys? I think, I think there's something there. I think, I think there can be a bitterness to Sting because when Hogan showed up, Sting got knocked down a peg. When Savage showed up, he got down, knocked down another peg. And I think he's never really regained that traction and this could do it. Yeah. Wayne anymore? No, I think, uh, we've, we've covered a lot on that one. Yeah. I'm looking forward to watching it happen next month. Uh, and that will conclude this month's show. Big thank you to both guys. This show, we, we started taking this show about three and a half hours ago. Now you might be looking at your clock and thinking, well Bob, we're into hour two here, but where do you get three and a half from? We've had so many technical issues. And a big thank you to Wayne and to Jeff for, for playing through it with me. Uh, one thing, now that we're out of 20 years ago mode that I will reference. Uh, Wayne, did you, like, I am of an age where I only really started watching wrestling in about 2005. So, yeah, this is, you, you get, I've said that before, you get that gauge from me. The one comparison point I have with that June 24th angle was the Nexus. Now, I was watching the Nexus debut at about 4.30 a.m. UK time on a, it would have been a June Tuesday morning uh, in 2010. And I kind of got like goosebumps because I was like, shit. This looks out of the ordinary. Wait, any, does that comparison make sense to you? No, you just put it like that. Yeah, it does. I mean, it wasn't just the fact that Nexus come in and did the beat down to, to Cena. It was the, the ripping up of the ring, what they did, uh, outside. Daniel Bryan got fired for choking Justin Roberts with a tie. Um, so when you, when you put it like that, given the real factor and, and the shoot element, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, they, they go hand in hand. Yeah, and the other thing as well, it, was, it wasn't actually the debut, but if you remember the first pay-per-view they were at, I think it was Fatal 4-Way. God, the industry moves a lot in six, 14 years, doesn't it? Fatal 4-Way in 2010. Um, they invaded in that match, and in amongst all the carnage of Cena trying to fight people off, Sheamus pinned somebody to win the title. And that was similar to what we saw on, on, on the June 24th Nitro, in the sense that there was a lot of carnage going on, and in amongst the melee, the match carried on. Thinking about it now, I wonder whether the Nexus thing, they they might have looked at all of that. A I couple, wouldn't be surprised. A couple of similarities from there early on. Jeff, anything quickly on that? Any, any Nexus memories you want to share? Uh, I, I consider that whole period something I try to block out. <laughs> like, like, from the... Uh... that not surprise me? Yeah, but it basically, I mean, uh, unless Umaga was in it, I wasn't really giving too much of a care <laughs> when it came to WWE at the time. Um, of course, I'll watch everything. I was high on Wade Barrett. I think the issue with the Nexus was, unlike other invading factions, you had a lot of new green guys and guys who weren't politically entrenched. So when the feud started to go... It lost legs. The when, initial... when they got to SummerSlam, John Cena had more stoke than the seven of them combined, and so they couldn't get the win. 
I don't, I don't, I don't know if they ever, I, I think there was, I think Barrett got one win on pay-per-view over Randy Orton, maybe? Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean. Well, the, Bar- Barrett beat Cena at Survivor Series. I mean, that's the whole thing where Cena got fired and then they ended up reinstating two weeks later. But I want about SummerSlam while they were still a group. And, uh, and I, I think the original, you know, attack was, was very cool. And I remember getting, you know, some messages by people saying, Hey, this is really cool. Uh, that time, the whole guest GM era and guest host of Raw is just a big blur I wish to forget, so. Oh, you just reminded me of that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I don't think this podcast will be going by that point. I fucking hope. Only <laughs> about 37 when we get there. I hope, I hope we don't get that far. Um, gentlemen, big, big thank you. Um, we have technical issues on this show, you know, quite frequently. Tonight, for the first time in a long ass time, we actually lost a chunk of this show. I won't tell you what it is. Um, but in terms of pre-recording, uh, like the recording, I've recorded the show in about ten different sections, such as my paranoia. Uh, but a very, very big thank you to Wayne and to Jeff for sticking with me. We are Two, three hours, 25 minutes since we, we, we first started the call. Skype is being wonderfully cooperative this evening. Uh, Wayne Lithgow, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Bob. Um, I hope at least, I hope at least in, if there was going to be a show that we were going to take a long ass time over and we were going to take the time to go back and record some stuff because we didn't record it. Great American Bash was the show to do. I get the feeling if me and Jeff had had these problems last month, we'd have gone, fuck it. Just yeah. three three matches in the middle, screw it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, they're just tag matches. I would have just skipped through them all. Uh, yeah, well, well, yeah, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, when you say at the start, sitting all through those bad WCW pay-per-views, with it in the end, watching that, just doing this recording was worth it, just to talk about Great American Bash again. It certainly was. Wayne, uh, we, you can be found on Twitter. I can. Wayne L84. Jeff, a quick question before I let you, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to plug, whether you do or not is another story. Um, I've heard some people say this is the best WCW pay-per-view of all time, from NWA era through to 2001. Uh, I would say Spring Stampede is fractionally better. Where do you stand on that? Um, there is a Great American Bash, I think, also held in Baltimore in, I want to say, 1990. Uh, which has, I think that's the one where Sting is kind of crowned, like, the world champion for the first time. Uh, it has a match with the Midnight Express versus, uh, the Young Pistols or the Southern Boys that I consider five stars. Uh, Vader is getting hot. There's an awesome Steiner Brothers Freebirds match. Uh, Luger fights a young Undertaker, Mark Calloway. Uh, and then there's a Rock and Roll Express have a really good match on it. I'd say that probably is my favorite WCW, uh, pay-per-view. Um, but, uh, yeah, this one, this one's up there. I'd say definite top five of all time for WCW. Very interesting. Jeff, uh, if you should wish, uh, would you like to plug your Twitter? Uh, you can just retweet it. You know, I don't know what it's called half the time. Jeff PRKR something. Bobble now. Yeah, just like the the one thing with having a separate podcast account, if you go uh, if you go on our Twitter at Wrestling Twenty RS, look at the people I am following. The only people I am following is people that appear on the show. There's only been about it's about sixteen of us now. It's quite a few, but still, you'll find Jeff in there very simply. Uh, Jeff, massive thank you, big thank you for sticking with us. I I, I know with uh, with your knee issues, you're not exactly in a hurry to go anywhere at the moment. Um, and it is unlike unlike eleven o'clock UA uh, UK PM. It's only about what six now. It just turned six. Yeah. Jesus, man, we started at half two your time. Bloody hell. 
Uh, I better wrap this up. Uh, yeah, Volume 1, WWF, King of the Ring. Volume 3, ECW, Hardcore Heaven. Shoot fighting on that show. I do pop, I don't, I'm not on that show, but I do pop in on the, on that discussion if you want to hear us talk about a match with USC fighter Paul Varlins is all there. Um, at Wrestling20RS on Twitter, uh, Wrestling20RS.com. Find your Facebook link, your iTunes link, all of your back episodes. There's been about 80 of them now. Uh, what else is there? iTunes rating review on there, please. If you, you're a long-term subscriber, will be appreciated. Everything's on the website, Wrestling20RS.com. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been Volume 2 of the June 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.